0: everybody it's your boy jordan
1: and this is desmond
0: and welcome to episode 163 of two black nerds that's right it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom pop culture and entertainment as always you can find two black nerds wherever you get your podcasts please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support and of course join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on twitter instagram and tiktok at two black nerds we appreciate that love y'all and let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at two Go well check out our two black nerds forever collection inspired by black panther wakanda forever we got t-shirts crew neck city stickers mugs And toe bags so go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing Guillermo del Toro's new stop motion animated film Pinocchio. Also, we'll discuss a movie that's getting Oscar buzz for its lead performance from Brendan Fraser, The Whale. Plus, we'll chat about two international films that are both being submitted to the Academy Awards: Alejandro Inarritu's Bardo, which comes from Mexico, and Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave, coming from South Korea. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with the review of the new Will Smith. Film to debut on Apple TV Plus, Emancipation. Give thanks to God.
1: The Lord is with us. What can a mere man do to me?
0: Papa! I will come back to you. You walk the earth. Because I let you. I'm your god now.
1: Slaves are free. We must get to Baton Rouge. Through this one. Megon's army is there. There are many ways to die in a swamp. I must get to my family.
0: What if he don't come back? Your papa is going to be back. Do not ever stop believing that. She's persistent. Running, hiding, surviving. Now, this movie is directed by Antoine Fuqua, and it's written by William In Collage, and it's starring Will Smith, Ben Foster, and Charmaine Bingwa. So Emancipation is a film that I know you and I have known about for quite a while. We remember last year Will Smith was actually filming this film while in the entire press run and the award run for King Richard as he was promoting that film when it, re- when it released last fall. He was also filming this simultaneously. Unfortunately we all know what happened earlier this year at the Academy Awards. No need to necessarily revisit <laughs> that incident but it's certainly taken a hit on Will Smith's career and how people perceive him but it's been far enough removed from that time period to now to just really talk about this film for what it is and just judge it based on that merit alone but Antoine Fuqua and Will Smith they haven't collaborated before Antoine Fuqua has had a really long career in Hollywood has been around for about 25 years I think probably somewhat of an underrated director he has definitely some hits under his catalog some films I really really like but now coming back and returning and teaming up with will smith again one of the most well-known actors in the world this is the first time collaboration for these two to release this film based on a slave story and happening during the abolitionist movement and so this film just premiered recently on apple tv plus and i know we both got a chance to go ahead and check it out over the weekend so with all of that out of the way i'll pass it over to you man what did you think about the movie emancipation
1: you know i think it's uh kind of an interesting premise to attempt to make a film Based off just one picture, you know, I think that's like already a hard thing to accomplish, especially such in a what feels like an important picture to 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 American slavery, um, really into American history that we've all seen so many times—the picture of in in a, a a free slave named Peter in Baton Rouge, who his back has been whipped and brutalized in in ways that um again just reflect being a slave at the time and scarred you know um i think it's just a very hard idea to match up to and you know that being said this movie just simply does not match it it's almost impossible <laughs> to match something like that and as Im- important as that and in this this film man what i I'll start with the good it's I think it shot tremendously well I think everything technically with the film is fine it looks good Will Smith still did what he had to do you know what I'm saying like he's gonna act um again I, I love the way it's color graded I love the way it's shot some of the action scenes are actually pretty good looking some of it is pretty dark some of it is the things that you expect there but it's just been here done that territory at this point I feel like it's time to, to, to put the slave movies away unless, again, I, somebody said something the other day. They were like, it's possible that there is still a story out there in the slave times that could, could still be shown, that still has some merit or some value. It hasn't been shown for a while. And maybe you revisit in 10, 20 years. Maybe somebody has found a new story that adds something to the conversation of slavery on the big screen. Maybe that exists somewhere. But it hasn't been done in so long that it's just it's just time to put it away. That's it. It's I think it's that simple. Cause the main problem with this movie for me, it was just boring. Like I've just I've seen it all. I was like, uh oh. It's it's literally a runaway slave movie who keeps magically dodging the slave masters that's chasing him. It's it's catcher freeman. That's what it is. That's who we, like, that's it's exactly what it is. And in in for that. It's like I guess good try. Like again, technically it looks good, but uh, uh, again, at the end of the day, we're here for entertainment, and this movie just didn't do that. Especially the runtime; it's long. I don't know. It's just it. I, I, I just yeah. I found myself looking other ways, looking at my phone, being like, "All right, why are we here? This and that." Um. But yeah, man, I don't. I don't really have much more that, to add than that. I just hope. That moving forward, you know, we kind of have this understanding uh, <laughs> that we might not need to be in this this period of time anymore. I will say Antoine Fuqua, still a great director. This movie is directed good. You know what I mean? It's not anything having to do with him, again, technically or any of that. The nature of the story, of what we've already seen before, of trying to live up to this idea of this really big picture that you just can't live up to anymore. It's just all, all these things combined. It's just, eh, you know, at the end of the day. just I wish there was more to add to the conversation, but unfortunately there isn't. So that's kind of where I left it.
0: What's really unfortunate for me as well in this conversation, because I pretty much agree on everything you said and don't have that much to add, but it is the fact that Antoine Fuqua is a director that I really, really admire and that he's done so many projects that I love. And he is also a very talented action filmmaker. And, And this movie sort of places itself within the action genre to an extent. But then it also tries to be a survival thriller, and it's about this free man, um, or at least a man trying to escape to freedom and, and be reunited with his family amidst all of these really chaotic things happening around him, and and, and near death experiences. And and I found that Fuku as a director, he has a, a credible sense of style. He can definitely create scope and and create mm-hmm. these really visually beautiful things, and and all of those choices were were very much well intentioned from the get go, and it does. It doesn't necessarily look like any other slave movie you've seen, as you said. The cinematography and also just the color grading, it's really different. It's not totally black and white. It's like a. It's like a black and white mixed with like like a sepia sepia tone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sort of a mishmash of that, and and that stuff is really cool. But I just find that the the style of the movie, the look of the movie, and just the overall flair the flavor you know that fuqua brings as this really talented visual filmmaker just gets in the way of really trying to identify with peter the main character that will smith is playing identify with the struggles because if it's going to be a survival drama or a thriller in that respect i think we kind of really need to see him go through some turbulent times on the way back to his family and and at points throughout the movie they try to do that but I think, I think it would have been a lot worse. I think we would have seen some things that would would have really tested just his ability to survive on his own for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of survival thrillers out there that I think do that really well. But this, this story, I never necessarily got the sense that he was actually in danger. Not really, yeah. just the way that it was communicated on screen. Like, I never got the sense that he wouldn't figure it out and be able to be reunited as, with his family. There might have been one moment towards the end, but yep. it kind of just dragged on a little bit too long and it didn't go... To any further heights than than what they had already achieved throughout this movie. It just ended up being a basic experience. As you said, seen it, done it before, kind of been there, done that type of experiment with this with this slave story in particular. And it just didn't really offer anything in the in in the in the way of having a new take or a new message or just anything that felt different and fresh compared to the countless amount of stories we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And, and what's really ironic to me is that. All those years back, Will Smith turned down the role of Django and and the opportunity to work with Quentin Tarantino because (laughs) he did not want to tell the story of a man seeking out revenge, a story of vengeance, so to say, Mm -hmm. which, okay, you know, if that's his if that's his own personal choice, so be it. But I mean, we, we 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 can't be we have to be honest about it. Django is a bit of a different story compared Absolutely. to everything else we've seen in terms of how everything happens in terms of the overall arc, yep. the the resolution, like you haven't seen a slave movie like Django before, you know? And I think uh, it's, it's not perfect. It has its faults, but mm-hmm. that's there. And so now you fast forward all these years, like a decade later, and Will Smith is doing something that feels a little bit more formulaic. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a disappointment, I would have to say. So ultimately this is not something that I necessarily would plan to watch again. I don't think it really has any chances or opportunities to go after notable awards at the Academy Awards later in the spring. I mean, I know it's kind of positioned that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of an Oscar bait movie, if we're being honest. Do you foresee any possible recognition that it may get for Will Smith and his performance, for the direction, maybe some technical stuff? Do you think it's going to even be a part of the conversation?
1: Nah, it's it's hard to see it just because the movie's not good <laughs> like it's supposed to be. Uh Hey, like you said it is positioned like in a in an in, in oscar Beatty movie in fact i know just all kind of people critics moviegoers everyone was like okay this is one of the last ones of the year you know besides you know avatar way of the water this was literally like the one everyone was like okay if if one last movie of the year it's gonna get any kind of oscar nod or dominant it'll be this one right it'll be this in in a mess and, and patient did have a lot of Kind of heat behind it because of the incident earlier this year, right? Everyone's like, "Okay, what's Will gonna come out?" Even though they were already shooting it before this already happened, but you know, so, again, just the, the energy the movie had, and and uh, you know, unfortunately, it falls short in that aspect. So I don't really think that it's gonna it's gonna do anything award season. I will say again, one more time, I do like the way it shot. I like the color grading. So if it was to get anything, I wouldn't mind. You know what I mean? If it maybe got something for that, because that was yeah, I, I I like that aspect of it. But other than that, I, I highly doubt it.
0: Yeah, I would I would tend to agree there. I just can't see it necessarily getting acknowledged for anything because it doesn't excel past a certain level. And and the Academy has acknowledged a lot of bad movies before, but this one in particular just doesn't make any noise. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see it making any sort of noise. Come award season. And we're going to find out those nominations next month. So it'll be right around the corner. But, you know, like you said, there are things to like about it. I really, again, Fuqua, I'm excited about everything he always does. He has the Equalizer 3 coming out next year with Denzel. That should be great. And he's done a lot of things. He's also really versatile you know so i do like the fact that he actually is telling this historical period piece and he's done that before with movies like king arthur and and things of that nature so he's flexed his muscle in different eras in different genres but this one just didn't ultimately land which is which is quite unfortunate but those are our thoughts on emancipation if you've checked out this film on apple tv plus definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we are going to transition and talk about our next movie of the week, a new stop motion animated film from director Guillermo del Toro, Pinocchio. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but (laughs) you don't. Over there, what is that? Papa! (gasps) It speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! Ah! We have found him! Our star! Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something. I'd like to give you. It is a school book, which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore.
1: Hello? The wooden boy with the borrowed soul while you may have eternal life your loved ones they do not you never know how long you have with someone until they're gone
0: the boy loves you for who you are guide him to be good to me.
1: Papa!
0: Life is such a wonderful gift. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, and it's written by Guillermo del Toro and Patrick Mihale, and it's starring Ewan McGregor, David Bradley, Gregory Mann, Burn Gorman, John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Finn Wolfhard, Kate Blanchett, Tim Blake Nelson, Christoph Waltz, and Tilda Swinton. So, ironically enough, this is not the only Pinocchio movie that we've gotten <laughs> this year. The folks over at Walt Disney Studios decided to release a live-action adaptation of Pinocchio on Disney+, Plus, adapting their famous animated movie, which came out in the 30s. Now, that Pinocchio movie is not something that I watched or saw. I actually purposely avoided it because there were no good reviews for it, unfortunately. Tom Hanks starred in it as Geppetto, and I would have watched it because of Tom Hanks alone, but just based off of the reaction, I felt like I didn't need to go down that route and just didn't bother with it, but we knew... That Guillermo del Toro was also developing his own take on Pinocchio. And funnily enough, Guillermo del Toro has been working on this movie for like 15, 16 years. Yeah. This is actually a deep personal passion project for him. He first announced it all the way back in 2008. I remember in the mid 2010s, him talking about it. The unfortunate thing is, is that it entered into development. Hell, it was never able to find a studio partner because no studio wanted to finance it for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of the animation style stop motion isn't exactly the most popular form of animation these Mm -hmm. days, although there are some few exceptions. Maybe it's the fact that Pinocchio is sort of synonymous with Disney and people didn't want to compete. I don't know, but we we, we obviously acknowledge Guillermo as an incredible director, one of the most talented filmmakers alive, and we always praise his work anytime we get to on this podcast, but this is a film we both got a chance to see because it finally debuted this past weekend on Netflix, and so Netflix decided to pick this up and purchase this movie, so with all of that out the way, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio?
1: Man, Guillermo, 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 you can feel the... Really the care, you know, after, again, we find out how long that Guillermo, this has been a passion project for him. After we find out how long that he's been working on this and then it comes out. And e- even before I watched the movie, I see like some some people went to some early screening where uh, at the end they, they go through with the cast and the puppeteers and they, they they talk about it. But they brought the puppets with them and they show us the craft craftsmanship of the puppets and like how how they carve specific things and how they decided to shoot certain things because of the way they carve certain things and the way, man, what a, what a, what an art. I think that I'm not sure has ever been done like this, right? A lot of times we, we talk about stop motion. A lot of it's clay, right? Like claymation, a lot of it, is, but to see like a puppet, they had to make everything that you see kind of, like carving, I think in in molding is two different things. Like <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and, and to see how that art form I think can can come to life in the form of a movie. With it's just it it it's tremendous looking man. Uh, Pinocchio is one of the most famous stories ever. Um, I think it's the second movie ever to be released by Walt Disney Feature Film Pictures.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm. And man. This, this, uh, I have to now go question what my favorite Pinocchio is after watching this movie. I do. Like, because <laughs> uh, that the original Pinocchio is fire. It really is. It's a really, it's a, classic. it's a classic. It's such a good movie Pinocchio and Geppetto, Jiminy Cricket. But Guillermo takes this movie and takes this story, I think, to a different place that a lot of us didn't see going when he announced it originally. This movie is a little bit more mature. It may it's not necessarily for kids, but it's still family watchable. <laughs> um because there's so much in it. There's so much sto- so much about grief in it and in anti-fascism <laughs> that's kind of in it, and this war stuff. It's just it's it's a lot um, to kind of process as you're watching it. Because again, when you have the original Pinocchio in the back of your mind, this is just not the movie you're expecting to see. Um, even the design of Pinocchio itself the original Pinocchio he got I mean real skin color he got all kind of yellows and overalls This that boy Guillermo said no nigga he's made from a tree that's all he's gonna be is a tree the whole movie and I was like dang that's some real stuff like that's how a puppet probably would be made um, in this time uh, it, especially someone who's grieving he's not gonna put all that color <laughs> into this puppet it's just gonna be a wooden <laughs> puppet and so it's just things about it that made a lot of sense um even again in the in the talking about a fantasy movie it just made a lot of sense when when it comes to you know knocking on the door of reality for what you're watching i was like yes of course that would happen of course they would yeah okay yeah no spoilers but this it's, it's just very interesting man to 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 have a take on a character like this i thought it was i thought it was very well done there's music that is very well done the voice acting is very well done and again, the direction, man, Guillermo just had a vision, and it's amazing to see him, I think, execute that vision, again, after working on something for such a long time. Um, because that's what Guillermo does, really. If Even if anything, everything for Guillermo doesn't work for you, he's like, he has something to say. He has something bubbling up <laughs> in him that he wants to get off of his chest. And I think that's why I like him so much. I really do like Guillermo a lot, but he always has, like, that style to him. That's like, I'm gonna give you some art, but I'm also gonna give you some some kind of message that you're gonna that I want you to, to hold on to. Um so yeah, I, I really enjoy him. I enjoyed this movie. It really is like anything I've ever seen. Um, and for that, I, I I think it will get praise for for the most part across the board as something um that's enjoyable. My nitpicks is sometimes I didn't know where the story was going. <laughs> like I was I got lost kind of in the middle sometimes. I was like, okay, but what are we doing again? Um, that happened to me a couple times that. And uh, because that happened to me also, I was like, dang, this movie's still going. <laughs> that, that also happened to me a couple times, too. Uh, but for the most part, the moments where I was there completely, I absolutely enjoyed. Uh, and man, I can't wait for more people to watch this. I think people are going to be afraid to watch it because they're sick and tired of hearing about Pinocchio's. I think a live action Pinocchio came out last year, too. Like middle of last year, I think that might have been like a foreign film. That wasn't great, if, from what I remember. The Pinocchio earlier this year wasn't great. Then there's this, then there was like, wasn't there like a Pinocchio in like the 2010s or something? I don't know. There's just was, there's a yeah. lot of Pinocchios going on, is all I'm saying. But this one in the original is really all y'all have to talk about. That's that's my vote. <laughs> like just talk about this, talk about the original and leave everything else behind you. Um and, and yeah, and that being said, man, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, for my money, this adaptation of the character and of the Pinocchio story is the best that we've gotten since the original Walt Disney animated film that came out in the 30s. I think that everything here is just so fantastic. Guillermo del Toro is truly one of my favorite directors. And when you look at this Pinocchio film, it is sort of eschewing a little bit closer to the adaptation and the source material. It's based off of the novel, which is an Italian novel from 1883, I believe it was. And so this is actually set in Italy, but it's also... Coinciding with the rise of Mussolini at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And so you have this story that's typically associated with being a kid's story, with being a kid's fairy tale. And you are putting it directly against these real world events that everybody sort of knows about. And you're also integrating these more adult themes and ideas. You know, you're talking about the idea of immortality versus mortality. You're talking about some of the dark people that exist within the world and how folks sort of take advantage of each other. You know, who who are the true monsters that actually exist among us versus what we just view on the surface right and because Pinocchio is sort of an outcast character it plays with those ideas and those themes a lot and and, and the story is just so well told the voice acting is just top notch you have some really really incredibly talented actors behind the scenes doing the voice work it's gorgeously rendered you can just see that everything in every single frame is just so meticulously crafted and Guillermo is putting every ounce of himself to make sure that this is of the highest quality possible. And again, I know stop motion is not necessarily the most popular form of animation anymore. CGI animation is sort of taken over as we know with Pixar and just what they've been able to sort of be responsible for leading into everything that dream, dream, dreamworks has been doing and illumination, which we've talked about on this show, but stop motion have done well to your point, And if it, if it's done in a really unique stylized way that can actually aid in the story and not just be a gimmick, then you have something really special on your hands, and I think that that's the case here because the world that they create here feels so real. It feels so lived in, and and, and it's an example of when you can really just like imagine yourself being a part of this story, and I think that that stuff is just it's outstanding, really, and, and I love Guillermo for having that attention to detail because we know he is a champion and a proponent of animation and he knows that it typically gets a bad rap and that there's certain sort of hesitations that exist amongst maybe older audience members to watch stop motion animated films but anybody could really enjoy this if you actually give it a try and give it a chance like i don't think that there's necessarily any reason somebody couldn't just come in watch this with an open mind and enjoy it because it still has somewhat of a universal sort of story at the center of it and and it's a story that we're mostly all familiar with many of us have been exposed to Pinocchio since childhood. Mm-hmm. So, it's not that difficult to just once again become acquainted with people you almost feel like you know with characters you feel like you've had a relationship for almost all your life. But I think that this is absolutely probably the best animated film of the year. You know, Turning Red is right there for me as mm-hmm. well, yep. but this this has to kind of be a part of the conversation. And so with that, I want to ask you Again, we're kind of talking about the Academy Awards a lot. We are right in the thick of award season. Many things are coming around, and we know nominations are coming out next next month. I, I have no doubt that it's going to get nominated. I mean, that's I feel like that's a shoe-in. But do you think that it'll actually win? I do feel that Turning Red is probably the biggest competition. That was huge for Disney Plus earlier this year. I don't know necessarily anybody else that might rise to the forefront there's probably things we haven't seen as always that we'll have to catch up with but what are your thoughts about this what are your what are your you know sort of hopes and maybe the prospects for this possibly walking away with the best animated film at this year's Oscars
1: man I think I think they might have done it to be honest uh just the amount of craftsmanship that went into this film Oscars love stuff like that Oscars love when you can do that and still come out i think with a product that's worth talking about you know we kind of talked about emancipation a second ago and how it's not going to make any noise because it's just not that good of a movie and then pinocchio is here at the same time making quite a bit of noise from what i <laughs> you know from what i noticed and from what i see so i i definitely think for sure nomination regardless absolutely is it going to win i think it has a pretty good chance um one of the other things i am looking at to get a couple surprise nominations and that's silly to win but Marcel the S- shell with shoes on is also stop motion oh, animation. Yeah, I heard nothing bad about that film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that and I actually think a movie we talked about earlier this year, Intergalactic, is going to get some surprising nominations as well. Oh, I do. Interesting. Uh, I, for, I, for, I hope I
0: for it's for eligible. I know. I know. There's some like some some mm-hmm. confusion about what it's what actually it is. like. TV is it, is it TV? Is it yeah. a movie? But if it, if it's if it's eligible, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, that would be cool if it's eligible. But I, if I did have to say, I, I think this is a shoe win, man, for the W of the year. I really don't see... I, as much as I love Turning Red, it's just something... This is, like, just something that's never really be do, been done before. And I think the Oscars also loves that. They love when people create new things that's, that's never been done. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we love this thing, but it's also never been done. It's just too many points. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's 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 going forward. So I, I definitely see this, uh, again, not only getting a nomination, but... Potentially winning uh, a best animated feature film.
0: And they love Guillermo, too. I mean, he is. I mean. Yes. He's like the nicest guy like he he never has a really bad thing to say. He seems just so warm and friendly mm-hmm. and he's been he's been acknowledged and, and, and heavily awarded in the past before. So I, I agree. I think uh, its chances are very likely unless there's just something out there, which is possible that we're not privy to that just might come out of nowhere. But we will have to certainly wait and see. But those are our thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. If you've checked out this film on Netflix, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're gonna go ahead and transition to our next movie from director Darren Aronofsky, The Whale. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Darren Aronofsky and it's written by Samuel D. Hunter and it's starring Brendan Fraser, Sadie Sink, Hong Chow, Ty Simpkins, and Samantha Morton. So, The Whale is a really interesting, small, independent drama movie that just recently released in a limited release in New York and LA by A24. You and I have known about this movie for a few months now because mm-hmm. it actually had its world premiere earlier this year at the Venice Film Festival back in September. And it actually made quite a lot of headlines amongst film Twitter and people that follow this type of stuff because Brendan Fraser notably got that long-standing ovation after the premiere of the movie, and it pretty much went viral across social media. You could just see how heartfelt it was, how emotional he was, and just the enormous amount of praise and positivity that he was receiving in that particular moment because Brendan Fraser has had just such an interesting career. This guy's been around for ages now, for the better part of 30 years, but... There's been a stretch over the past, I would say, decade, maybe decade plus, where he hasn't been as prevalent as he used to be. I mean, he made a lot of headways in the late 90s and early 2000s as an action star. You know, he was doing things like Georgia the Jungle and, of course, the Mummy mm-hmm. franchise, and he did Journey to the Center of the Earth. So he was a really huge star. But then due to some personal events throughout his life and also due to him admitting that he had been sexually harassed by a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association a few years ago, it almost felt like Brendan Fraser had might have taken a back seat and might have been excluded from Hollywood talk, might have might have had a little bit of a hurdle. I don't want to necessarily say he was blacklisted because he still did get work. And if you've been following Brendan Fraser, you know, he's been in things. I know we've talked about even Doom Patrol and he's been in that. He was in a Steven Soderbergh movie that we reviewed last year. Mm-hmm. So he's been working, but he hasn't been the face that he used to be. So now people are calling this film his comeback film. This is the one that's supposed to really bring him back into the limelight. And most notably, everybody is saying like he is nearly a shoe in to not only be nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards, but has a high, high chance of possibly winning. So with all of that out the way, I know I said a mouthful. We actually got a chance to go check out this movie this past weekend after certainly anticipating it for the past few months. And so I will pass it over to you. What did you think about The Whale?
1: Man, I don't even really know where to start with this film, man. It's such a an interesting movie-going experience with this film, um knowing knowing going into it everything you just said about Brandon Fraser, seeing the video of the standing ovation, seeing just this this outpouring, I think of praise of his role in this film. Just sitting down and watching it, you know, you have I don't know, just so much so much to think about um when 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 watching it, man. This is a movie that like it's been a while since I, I've said this, I think. But this is one of the movies that I think gets carried just by tremendous performances across the board. You know, it's not only Brandon Fraser that's killing it, it's Sadie Sink going crazy. It's Ty Simpkins that's going crazy, it's Hong Chow. Oh man, this woman's so underrated to me, but yeah, it's Hong Chow that's going crazy. Um and it really it's it's funny this this movie makes you so emotional and the interesting thing about it though is like there's moments you don't even know why you're it's so emotional because the the story to be honest isn't even like the most I understand exactly why I'm here kind of thing the whole time in the move in the film details do get sprinkled throughout the movie but it always feels like I'm here for the characters, and I think that's what makes it so good. It's not really. I'm not usually you are. Usually we talk about on this podcast. Man, the story was just eh. So the movie was just eh. But this time it was like, the story might have been just mad, but the characters were so good, it kind of didn't even matter <laughs> what the story was really about. Um And I think I think that's part of what make this makes this movie impressive to me. Is that I think that's rare, and the the moments between Brandon Fraser and Sadie Sink. Um, were just so memorable for me and so emotionally heightened for me that it's like I don't know. They're just things I'm not going to forget. Like there's so many moments in this movie. It's like nope, I'm going to remember that forever. This little movie, literally set in one apartment the entire time, I'm going to remember that. And 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 I think that says a lot again about the performances across the board. Not only that, but the directing too. I think the directing, um, in in, in that matter is amazing. But all in all, after you after you finish the film, those last three minutes of the movie, I can see why they stood up for Brandon Fraser. I absolutely get it. There's it's just a moment in there that I, it's going to bring people to tears. You're not even going to know why you're crying. <laughs> like you you're going to get it because he puts so much emotion. I think in that moment uh, that you hear and it kind of tries to bring. You know the beginning of the movie together a little bit. And you're like, oh, okay, I kind of get that, but it's really Brendan Fraser pouring everything he has in those last couple minutes. That's like, yep, I see what everyone is saying. It really, like, yep, I see why they stood up. Yep, I see why people are talking about this is a shoe in um, um, to to get at least to get an Academy Award nomination. I see it, um, and, and and I think it's yeah, man. It's just it was a very different movie going experience for all those reasons uh and, it, it made it such a again memorable movie in my mind but man for that I have to say I enjoyed it one last thing I, I do want to add that made me look at the movie slightly different there was this opinion piece in um the New York Times uh and and she was it, it was just a a, a a a piece saying how of course this movie is about a man who was uh obese right Mm-hmm. It, the article was was simply saying how this movie didn't feel enough for his idea of being obese it it gave too much to re- the horrors of making it seem like this is the worst thing in the world kind of thing versus like actually giving emotion to the character who's in that situation um a- amazing article I'm going to retweet it and send it out so people can read it. It definitely made me look at the movie slightly different because there was a lot of great points being made. But that being said, I still very much enjoyed the movie. I thought the, the characters were amazing. Um, and whenever the whale pops up, I'm definitely going to suggest people to watch it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's actually important to know what this movie is actually about, because if you haven't heard of it or if you maybe have seen the trailer, doesn't give you a great idea what the movie is actually about. It doesn't reveal anything. But just quickly, without spoiling anything... Brendan Fraser is playing a character who is extremely obese, and he's attempting to essentially reconnect with with his estranged daughter. And he's also an English teacher, but he teaches primarily online because of his immobility and the fact that he is stuck pretty much in one apartment. But this is also based off of a play that came out in 2012 by Samuel D. Hunter. So this is an adaptation from that that stage play, which I believe had an off-Broadway run. Darren Aronofsky is a really famous director. He's been around for a long time now, and he's known for making challenging films. Films that actually push not only his actors kind of to the brink, but also just the audience and what audiences expect out of his stories that he t- that he tries to tell. His most recent film, which came out like five years ago, was Mother, which mm. was extremely divisive and I know a lot of people didn't like that movie because it goes in so many different directions that you just can't anticipate Mm -hmm. I really like that movie actually I I like like almost everything he's done he's he's made Black Swan which I really love Mm -hmm. the wrestler he's known for actually putting his characters through the through the ringer so in terms of a story that he's trying to tell here with Brendan Fraser being the main character and being this really obese person he he's going through a lot you know he's going through some really really challenging times not only from a health perspective but just also a psychological perspective Mm -hmm. from what he's dealing with there's been some tragic stuff to occur in his life and so Brendan Fraser is the guy to step in and be the lead actor of this movie and to carry the burden of what you need to do and what you need to be able to portray in this role I honestly think that he was the perfect choice just because nobody really has eyes like Brendan Mm -hmm. Fraser his eyes are so incredibly Just you see so much through his visual performance and like his facial performance and what he's able to do and connect with his eyes. And that's just so that's kind of an understated thing that I don't think a lot of people necessarily talk about. But there's just so much power behind that being like your main instrument that Mm -hmm. you need to convey so many different emotions. And for a guy who is going through just a roller coaster of emotions in this really, really challenging time of his life, you got to have somebody that's extremely talented to be able to do that. And because of that, and just because of everything he had to, you know, really hold and, and, and pull off in this movie, I think that this is a career best performance for Brendan Fraser. It, it's no doubt in my mind. He's done some stuff that I liked before, absolutely, and he was a, he was actually kind of like a, a childhood hero of mine. Those Mummy movies are, like, yeah. historic to me. Mm-hmm. I, I rewatch them all the time, and I just look back on them so fondly, and he was obviously at the center of those But him coming in here and making this, you know, really, really dramatic turn, this is career best performance for him and just everything he had to do. And as you said, the supporting cast here is just top notch. They really hold the film together. I mean, because it is a simple premise, it is taking place primarily in one location, and that can become very boring and redundant if you just sit there and you're not invested in who you're watching and so sadie sink i mean she's just she's becoming an absolute star Mm -hmm. i mean everything we saw and talked about in stranger things four earlier this year to now this girl is super talented Mm -hmm. and then hong chow is having a fucking moment right now we just talked about her a few weeks ago in the menu and just what she was able to do in that movie and how scary she is in that movie to coming in and doing something completely different she was incredible here as well I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I think that it brought me to new levels of emotion and empathy that you just don't necessarily anticipate when you go mm-hmm. into a movie. You just kind of expect to go watch something and, and see if it actually moves you in any particular direction. And this moved me so much. And it's it's supposed to be a story about empathy and having a little bit more thought and care and concern about these these people that might be around you or in your orbit or how you just like view and judge people as well. And And we see, I think we see elements of realism in terms of, people's reactions to him yeah. and, and, and his obesity. We don't we don't get people just, you know, sort of cupcaking it and saying like, oh, you know, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. Nope. You get every, every you know, sort of sense of the spectrum. You get people that enable him. You get people that criticize him. You get people that empathize with him. It, it's happening pretty much across the board. Um, but there is a bigger conversation about it in terms of how it, how it portrays obese people and how it portrays that community because mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that you sort of nodded to is the fact that a large part of that community is reclaiming their obesity. That that is something that they are proud of. That is something that they acknowledge and they're even reclaiming the word fat like that is actually becoming a more positive term for many people a part of that community as well. Now, this one does mostly hearken on the really unfortunate circumstances that one might deal with if they are obese and dealing with a lot of health issues. And so I can certainly see the perspective of it possibly being considered exploitative. You know, I can I I can get that. I I personally haven't been around or experienced this myself to this degree Mm -hmm. of somebody being of this size like the guy weighs 600 pounds in the movie but this is a real thing and we've seen it be exploited on tv shows before so i know it's a sensitive topic and so i definitely don't want to invalidate anybody's personal feelings towards it just for me personally somebody coming into it that doesn't necessarily have a bias in any direction about this community it it totally moved me and i think that uh it, it certainly is you know one of the standouts Amongst films that have come out this year, do you think it's likely he'll win Best Actor? Because that's what he would be submitted for. That's what he would be, you know, sort of going for in terms of the Academy Awards. I, I don't even know necessarily who the competition competition is at this point. I feel like we have to really sit down and think about it. But for a long time now, for months, he's been kind of the front runner, yeah, and has been the guy that has been talked about. Like this really might be Brendan Fraser's moment. I know the film itself is getting more mixed reviews, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything when you talk about a performance mm-hmm. like there have been many mediocre movies where an actor just like blows people out of the water like even last year Jessica Chastain best actress for the eyes of Tammy Faye Mm. we've seen that movie it's average it's a fine film it's Mm -hmm. not great it's cool cool. but she was explosive in that movie Mm -hmm. she killed it and we know that they love their transformations too we know the academy loves seeing people transform contort themselves do just weird things Mm -hmm. to go out of their way to just basically be somebody else so what do you think the likelihood is that he actually walks away with the best actor trophy at the Oscars?
1: It's funny you say that. One of the other movies or one of the other predictions, I think, for nominees, it's also a movie that, that we talked about. It's just like, I guess, it's actually uh, Austin Butler as Elvis. I've seen that pop up a couple of times, yes, you mm-hmm. know, um, which is funny. It's like the exact same predicament, <laughs> you know, in a lot of different ways. I was like, you know, he did he did pretty good um, in that movie. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's again thinking about who could the other nominees be. Usually at this point in the year, it's like I don't know. There's usually something or someone where it's like that looks like the guy, and this is it. Like you know what I mean? Like this feels like the one. Everyone's pointing, looking. This is it. The only other thing that I've seen from critics or anybody else is Colin Farrell and Banshees. You know, like that's yeah, that's one of the only things I've seen be on the table. But again, after seeing this film. Like you said, the way the academy loves when people change themselves, and, and I this this I don't see it going any other way right now except Brandon Fraser, um and in the well, man, I really don't see it going any other way. But we have to see.
0: Yeah, those other two you identified: Austin Butler and Elvis, and Colin Farrell and Banshees of Anna Sharon. Are probably two locks at this at this particular moment, especially you know we just heard about many other announcements from from some other award shows in the past couple of days, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Brendan Fraser does seem like the just the obvious front runner at this at this particular turn in time but we'll have to see how things shake out over the next few weeks but those are our thoughts on the whale if you've checked out this movie definitely hit us up and let us know know what you think but if you haven't and you're interested it'll have a wider release this upcoming weekend so you'll have the opportunity to go see that in theaters but with all of that out the way and that being said let's go ahead and transition to our next film the latest movie from director park john wook decision to leave 여기.
1: 귀던수 씨 아내 송설아이입니다. 많이 놀라셨겠습니다. <웃음> 웃는 거 봤어? 젊고 예쁘고 외국인이어서 피의자가 돼야 되냐? 알리바이 입증된 거야. 예쁜 거 인정하시는 거네요.
0: 그 친절한 형사의 심장을 가져다 주세요. 난좀 갖고 싶네. 저 거기 없는데요. 그럼 어딘데요? 절진 많아요. 조금만 더 참아요. 그렇게만 하지 말아요. 우리는 무슨 일이요? 당신을 끌어안고 행복하다고 속삭인 일이요? <웃음> 내가 그렇게 말만합니까? 내가 그렇게 나쁘니까?
1: 살인은 후연과 같아서 처음만 어렵다.
0: Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Park John wook and it's written by Jung Seo-kyung and Park John wook and it's starring Tang Wai and Park Hai Il. And so Decision to Leave is coming from probably one of the most famous directors out of South Korea. Park John wook has had Magic. a really long and successful career in making film. I think it's no surprise amongst us to say at least like he is most famous for his Vengeance trilogy, for the, for the films that he made in the mid-2000s. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and of course Lady Vengeance are just... Top tier revenge thrillers in terms of Korean cinema and have just grown such massive cult followings over the years. But he's made a lot of other really successful films as well. His most recent one, The Handmaiden, many people largely consider that his masterpiece, his best film that he's ever made. So it's been quite a while, I think about four years since he's actually released a film. But Decision to Leave is something we've had our eyes on for quite a while now. It premiered earlier this year at the Cannes Film Festival back in the springtime, but it just recently became available on streaming via movie, And so we got a chance to go ahead and check this out this past weekend. So with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about Decision to Leave?
1: What crazy time, I think, for this movie to come out? Because I just literally rewatched the Vengeance trilogy last year. It's crazy. Um, and unfortunately, I still haven't seen The Handmaiden. I have no idea where to watch that movie. I gotta figure that out. Uh, It's on Prime Video right now. Yes. I I got Mm -hmm. it. I don't know why I haven't seen that movie yet. It's crazy. Uh, But man, 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 man. This... What a crazy person. <laughs> this, like, Park Chan-wook <laughs> is not okay. This man is not normal, dog. He, the his screenplays, the way he writes, the way he directs, something is wrong with this dude, man. There's always something about him that is, just, it's like something, every time you watch a movie, it's like something's off. Like, it's almost like we watch an R. A. Astor movie, we're like, no, nah, something's wrong with this dude. Like, we need to check on him. And I feel the same way about Park Chan-wook, man. But, man, Decision to Leave is such a different film man it does it does feel like uh uh your your yearly uh international <laughs> you know film that that is t- like oh award season's close what's going to happen with with this international film it does feel like that movie for sure but it's still different um in, in in all the ways that Park Chan-wook you would expect it to be this is another film that I think technically is also just tremendous I think it's shot very well the there's zooms and editing in this movie that I really enjoy. I think the music is very well done, man. But the story is so crazy to me. It feels almost like um almost like Phantom Thread <laughs> in some ways. Where like it's really it's a good comparison. It's really like these two characters who they clearly love each other, but they do some weird shit <laughs> uh, in the in-between. Um this this movie is about a detective investigating somebody's death in the mountains but he ends up meeting and developing feelings for the widow of that of that man um and yeah that's really pretty much what the movie is about um and it's just it's it really is a chess match between these two characters on screen about again the ways in which they show that they love each other it's very very interesting um in and, in and, and, and in that being said man I, I enjoyed myself completely. There are just so many moments of the movie that have me enthralled like what is going on here? What is really happening? um I think I think that the acting is very well done. I think the the only thing about this film that can that kind of confuse me at points is the it's like small symbolism things on, on, in the film that I can't wrap my head around like I, I'm still thinking about it like I just I, I keep thinking like what does that mean though like it, it's clear that Park Chan-wook put it there on purpose and it's not even like it's like a pretentious thing either it's just like I don't know I just don't know what it means I feel like I have to do a little bit more research to figure out what it means and it might add a little bit of value to the movie for me but that being said it's, it doesn't take symbolism right to get into a film <laughs> you know that you like it really is uh the, i think the characters here is 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 really a good driving force of the film and again the way it was directed is so good man it is a two hour i think eighteen minute story to tell um but again for me I just really like movies like this I don't know what it is it's it's some it's it's something about these international films that always have a pace that we don't have here in America very often you know it's just it's very it's slow. It's methodical. Everything isn't in your face. Everything isn't super thrilling. You know what I'm saying? But it, this movie is super intriguing, though, like and I think that's what kept me going throughout the movie is like these two people are ridiculous. Like, you know, I mean? it, it almost felt like a elongated soap opera in, 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 in some ways. It's like y'all are y'all are crazy. Um, but yeah, man, I, I absolutely enjoyed myself watching it. Park Chan-wook has another good movie on his hands to me. Like, I I really did enjoy this film. Um, And it does absolutely feel different than the Vengeance trilogy. Um, it, It definitely feels separated from that, which I think is dope as a filmmaker to constantly try to do something that's like a little bit newer or different than what people know you for. I think that's always a success in my book. Um, so yeah man I, I, I really like this film I can't wait to see how other people talk about it to be honest it, I think it'll be a it'll be one I'm like did you like that movie because I like that movie kind of type you know question so we'll, we'll have to see
0: uh, a fascinating experiment to say the least I, I should note that this is now the official selection From South Korea for the Academy Awards this is the film that they will be submitting for best international feature film and I think it's very likely it'll get nominated Park Chan-wook he's had a really incredible career this is getting a lot of critical acclaim as well and Park Chan-wook is a director I mean what what can you really say about him if you don't know and understand his style which I don't think I necessarily know and understand his style because he's always evolving and changing so much but one thing that always feels consistent across all of his projects is just the narrative intricacy of his stories. Mm -hmm. It is not meant to be something that's easy. It's not meant to be something that you can just digest in a really consumable way on first watch. A lot of his films kind of demand rewatches, you know, so I kind of like to think of myself as like never seeing a Parchon Whoop movie. Because if I haven't seen it like at least three times, I don't know what I really just (laughs) watched. Because there's always just so much there. It's so layered all of his stories. And I remember like watching old boy a few years ago and just not getting it. Not, not really understanding like, well, what, what was that really? Like it was fine. And then you watch it later and then you watch it again. It's like, wait a second. This might be the most fucked up movie I've ever seen in my life. And then you look at his other films and it, that's also consistent. And this movie is no di- different. Decision to Leave is also kind of a very fucked up movie, but in so it many is. good ways. You bring up Phantom Thread, I feel like it's very close to Vertigo, what Alfred mm. G- what Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm, did, mm-hmm. just presenting this murder mystery at the center of it, also adding in an element of romance and, and and eroticism as well, which we just don't get in American movies really anymore. They don't make erotic thrillers anymore these days. That's true. And there's a level of eroticism here that's just so prevalent, and it adds to the tension of the two main characters and what they're going through throughout the story. And on a visual level, I mean, he is really, I think, one of the best visual directors working today in any country. He's just so talented. Yep. There are so many shots throughout this film where I'm just like thinking to myself, like, how did he do that? I, I really don't know mm-hmm. how he pulled that shot off. There was a chase scene where there's a Crazy. camera like following over people's shoulders, and I'm like, how is this Crazy. how is this even happening right now it's so stable it's so clean but it looks it looks as chaotic as it needs to be and then you top it off with I think some really energetic and magnificent performances from the leading from the leading actors Tang Wei and Park Hai Il like they were both incredible and you really sort of buy into this relationship that's budding between the two as they continue to just like evolve and grow in their relationship and just the just the whole mystery that exists behind the story that they're trying to tell here is just like so fascinating. And I, I definitely found myself going back in numerous scenes, like to make sure that I didn't miss anything, because if you really don't pay attention and just like lock in and focus in, it's easy to just like sort of get lost in the sauce and not really understand and process what you've watched. Cause mm-hmm. it is all in Korean and, and a lot of it's also in Chinese as well in Mandarin. That's true. So you have to really focus in and pay attention. But once you really just like get the, the meat of the story and understand what's actually happening here, which they don't hold secret for that long. Like you get you get a proper sense of like the truth probably about halfway through the movie. And I think that that might be the one criticism that I level against it is that the last act isn't as intriguing as the first two mm-hmm. acts. Like it's still really good and you're still kind of on the edge of your seat. But I feel like a lot of the momentum of the story had kind of been lost along the way and so it held it back a little bit from being even greater but i think that this still is an incredible movie i think it's definitely an achievement and his his whole imdb is just like ridiculous just the amount of quality he has on the film projects that he's made and again i think that this has a very good shot of going pretty far in terms of how people are recognizing it it was also selected as like one of the top five International films by the National Board of Review. So it's certainly getting the flowers that it deserves. And I think Park Sean Wook, I just can't wait to see what he does next, even if we have to wait like five or six years, because he takes his time to really develop these stories and be thoughtful about it. But I'm super, super excited about whatever his next project may be. But those are our thoughts on Decision to Leave. If you checked out this film, hit us up and let us know what you think. And if you haven't, definitely sign up for Movie and go check it out. It's available right now on that streaming platform. And with that being said, we're gonna to transition to another inter- international film, which is yet to debut on Netflix, but it will be coming out this week. The latest film from director Alejandro Iñárritu, Bardo. Silberio. Silverio.
1: Ya, levántate, Silverio. Silverio Gama, periodista, documentalista, slash,
0: artista. Estás, no sé, viva México, cabrones. This is my home.
1: No, this is not your home, sir. You cannot call this place your home. Thank you. are sorry! We <laughs> the <laughs>
0: Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Alejandro Iñárritu, and it's also written by Alejandro Iñárritu and Nicolas Giegabón, and it's starring Daniel Jiménez Cacho and Griselda Siciliani. So, Bardo is the latest film from Alejandro Inarritu, Academy Award winner, two-time Academy Award winner, in fact, uh, because of his previous directorial work with notable films like Birdman and The Revenant. It's actually crazy in hindsight when you think about it. He won Best Director back-to-back years at the Academy Awards for those two those two Ooh. films. Birdman, he won it at the, I believe, the 2014 Academy Awards, and then The Revenant. Actually, I have that wrong. He won for Birdman at the 2015 Academy Awards, and then Mm -hmm. won for The Revenant at the 2016 Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. But that was his last movie, The Revenant, which came out like seven years ago. So he's had a significantly long layoff in between projects. This is something I have not gotten a chance to check out and see, but you did get a chance to go to a special screening of this movie in the city before its wide release on Netflix later this week. So with all of that out of the way, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Alejandro Iñárritu's Bardo? Wow.
1: Um, Where to begin? This is another one of those, man. Man, this whole list of movies we got today is just... How do we even start? Um, Bardo, Bardo, Bardo. So, Alejandro Iñárritu has been around a while. You know, as you just said, he has been, been winning for things like Birdman, like The Revenant. And because of that, he has become a big mexican director right he's become a big mexican filmmaker who now uh uh, has been separated from his home this is the first movie that he shot completely in mexico um and the movie is about that (laughs) the movie is about his separation from his home now in the light of becoming a a a famous filmmaker becoming a quote unquote face of Mexican American filmmaking and what that means as relation to his homeland and as relation to uh, again in this movie L.A. So the movie is about a Mexican journalist and documentary filmmaker, which he makes more so mockumentaries to to tell to to, to talk about real life things. Um, he returns back home to Mexico and he starts working. But as he's doing that, he's going through an existential crisis. I mean, because of he doesn't know what's going on. He he doesn't know if he fits in Mexico, if people in Mexico even like him. Because he did move to L.A. to become a filmmaker. As he's simultaneously in those films giving commentary on what's happening in Mexico, but he doesn't live there, and people aren't always on board with what he has to say uh, in those films uh, in the movie. This film is a. I'm just call it three hours. It's long as shit. It's a three-hour odyssey <laughs> of, of that. It's a three-hour odyssey of this man, this journalist and filmmaker, who is trying to figure out his life at a time. He has achieved success, but now he's realizing that some people love him. Some people in Mexico don't like him at all. Some people think some people in Mexico think he's a hero. He's trying to figure out everything where he where he stands in, in this world. There are so many moments I think in this movie. It it things happen that you don't expect to happen. Often in the movie he goes to fantastical places in his mind. They're they're not really happening, but he's very much daydreaming and I don't know, just crazy stuff is going on around him as he's daydreaming and having an existential crisis depending on the 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 thing that's happening in the film one of the big um, i'm going to actually tell y'all the first 10 minutes of the film just to show you how ridiculous it is the movie starts with his wife giving birth the baby comes out it cries a little bit they wipe the baby off and they and they say um yeah the baby's not ready to be out here the the world is too fucked up and they push the baby back into the mom jesus christ <laughs> uh it's it's the, the movie is literally filled of shit like this. Like, it is so much commentary on the world. And again, I think how, how Inaritu Inor, feels as a filmmaker as his time has gone on. I, I think this movie is shot tremendously well. All the dream sequences are like, holy shit, like, did that actually just happen? Like, what am I looking at? That being said, it's exhausting that happening for three hours straight is it's a lot y'all um it's shot so well and directed so well but the self-commentary at so many points it does feel super pretentious sometimes it's like are are, are you you know he's talking about himself and in in is there so many moments it's like are you serious right now like is that where is that where you want to take this bro kind of type thing um But it is beautiful. I have to give it that. It is a beautiful examination of where somebody is in their life as they're having an existential crisis. It is beautiful in that way. But man, it's so tiring. After a while, you go, this 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 is still about you. (laughs) By the end of the film, you're like, dang, dude, like this is this is really still about you. I think there's there's a couple things to be to be said, a couple things to be taken away from the film for sure. But there's even a moment in here, I'll also give it one other small scene away, there's a moment in here where he he gets away, there's a party being thrown just for him. A new film just came out, parties being thrown just for him. He, go, he, he hides so he doesn't have to give a speech and goes into the bathroom. After he goes into the bathroom, there's a vision of him talking to his late father. But he's being imagined as his child self. What makes this scene so crazy and so weird is that they keep his grown head and put it on a child's body as he's talking to his father in the bathroom. I know it's wait the, a I,
0: <laughs> I don't know what you just described here, but it might be the best thing I've heard all year. And now I am so ready to watch this just to see what the hell this is.
1: It is. I was like, wait, what? It kind of takes you out of it a little bit because you just looking at his big old head and his little ass body. <laughs> It's really crazy to watch, man. But that like describes the movie to me. It's just it's so imaginative and it's so metaphorical at times and it's so ridiculous at times that I think there there are moments you're going to have a, tr- a tremendous time with this movie. But I think given what's crazy, I think they 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 told us they cut 22 minutes out of this movie. I don't know how it's like 247 or something ridiculous. I don't know how you cut 22 minutes out. But but that being said, man, it really does just get a little too exhausting. It is a little too pretentious at times. But I think anybody who loves the idea of film and the moments where there is a conversation in this film about how what 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 your home country looks like, you know, uh, looks looks at you the way they look at you after moving away and becoming a big filmmaker and trying to come back and call this place your home. There are things in this movie that's very important that needs to be said. But just the runtime mixed with the constant dreams mixed with the constant. It's just a little too much going on that, that takes away from it. If he shortened this to an hour 50, give us some of the best dream sequences you got. Give us the best things you're trying to say that you got and just do that. Um, I, I think this movie in some ways does succeed for some people because they love that. They love the idea that like just go do what you want in a to like we don't care about the time constraints. Just have fun. But again, just as a as a watcher, somebody who was just a little exhausted watching it, 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 it can be a lot to take in. Um, so that being said, it's fine. I think I think one watch is enough for anybody. I have I've do not see anybody watching this more than once. If so, I mean, kudos to you. Part of me does want to watch parts of it, though, because the sequences are so ridiculous. I might go back and rewind and be like, man, this part was crazy. Like, what the hell is going on? I might do that. But as far as a full watch, it, it can really be hard. Um, so, yeah, that being said, I think people will want to check it out. But my recommendation is to break this shit up. It's coming out on Netflix. Break it up. Watch an hour here, hour there. Figure it out. Um, but I think one sitting will be exhausting for almost anybody.
0: Wow. Uh, that was a hell of a review about this movie, <laughs> which, again, I still have yet to see. But this is, uh, this is interesting because this is Mexico Submission for the Academy Awards. And again, Alejandro Iñárritu is a very acclaimed, notable filmmaker just for his really outstanding work. This is his first movie to be fully filmed in Mexico since his debut film, Amortos Pedos, which is, you know, often considered a classic, you know, amongst, amongst viewers who have seen that film. And so it, it's somewhat disappointing to hear that it doesn't live up to the heights of what we've seen him achieve previously. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, really enjoy the revenant a lot maybe more so than a lot of people i know that that movie is kind of a grind for some folks and they kind of look back on it not as fondly as i do but mm-hmm. i still think that it's just it's a it's an achievement on so many different levels and birdman is also an achievement i mean technically in aritu in his eye and what he's able to achieve is uh it's unlike anybody else his style and i've seen the preview for bardo mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of birdman in terms of where the cl- camera is placed and how it's shot so and the movement yeah. that might exist. And, I mean, he he's kind of unparalleled in a lot of those respects. But I find it interesting, you know, for him to release this movie in the same year, which, you know, this is just coincidental because they have been working on these projects for a long time. But we just recently talked about The Fablemans with Steven Spielberg mm, yep. and that documenting his journey to falling in love with film and how he became a director. And that's very much a semi-autobiographical movie. As is this, though to a different degree and definitely taking a different vantage point, this is more so about a man reflecting on his current place in society, especially with his homeland, and and sort of looking back, you know, and, and, and looking at everything that he's achieved up until this point and what that means for him now, as opposed to this younger boy, this boy portraying Steven Spielberg in his youth, falling in love with the art form of film for the first time. So Mm -hmm. definitely two different types of stories completely. But I just do find it interesting that anytime we get a filmmaker, you know, sort of doing these tales about their own personal experiences, maybe a little bit heightened, it could really go either way. You know, you can get the sense that, oh, a Steven Spielberg project, we totally see how he is just making this, this ode and this love letter to movies Mm -hmm. and, and people kind of love it. And then you get this other experience in Bardo where it's like, Here's an equally talented director just kind of doing whatever he wants, but maybe creatively it could have been reined in at a couple of different points in time from, the length of the film to maybe some of the creative choices to just like the actual focus of yes. the story maybe there just could have been a lot of things done differently i'll certainly have to see and check it out for myself but it's a very interesting conversation we'll have to see how far it actually goes mm-hmm. throughout award season but i think it's a it's a definitely fascinating conversation considering where he is in his career i mean he's done he's done really everything you can do in terms sure. of just being a prestige director mm-hmm. so he doesn't necessarily have anything to prove but sometimes everybody has a bad day at the office and it may it may have just been a little bit too much for, for him in, in terms of the ambition and the story that he was trying to tell here but it also just might be something he just he doesn't give a fuck what anybody that, thinks because he had it. to make it it just might have been the movie he had to make <laughs> yep. you know and I think sometimes that happens with filmmakers it's not about what people think about it it's not about money or critical acclaim or awards it's like i have to tell the story Mm -hmm. and that's that's really all that matters and if that's the case for this then so be it i can't be mad at that and, and him going after his vision in that in that respect but we will certainly have to see but those are our thoughts on bardo definitely if you check out this film on netflix when it comes out later this week hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're gonna go ahead and transition and talk about the last movie we'll be reviewing this week a brand new christmas film violent night You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the Ranger to my sword. <laughs> this is my fourth year, the Santa. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. Oh,
1: oh, oh! It's Christmas! Ah!
0: We decided that you could have one gift early. What is it? That is a direct
1: hotline of Santa Claus himself.
0: I can talk to Santa. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas.
1: <laughs> I don't want any trouble, okay? So we just gonna scooch up that chimney.
0: Who is he? Because he's not your typical mall, Santa. Santa, are you there? Ah! Daddy said you were
1: very busy tonight. Ah!
0: My name is Trudy Are you gonna help us, Santa?
1: Yeah, Trudy. Santa? No, my nice list. Santa Claus is coming to no, town.
0: Time for some season's beatings. No! No! Who the hell are you? No! Boss, what if he really is the there real? Is f- no... Such thing as Santa. Yeah! These bad men? They're all on my naughty list. Naughty? That's naughty!
1: And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. Where is it? I gotta watch. I believe in you, Santa.
0: Which one of you did that Prancer? So unprofessional. Now this movie is directed by Tommy Wirkola, and it's written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller, and it's starring David Harbour, John Liguizamo, Alex Hassel, Alexis Lauder, Edie Patterson, Cam Gigandet, Leah Bradley, and Beverly D'Angelo. So Violent Night actually had its world premiere a few weeks ago in New York Comic Con, which you were in attendance for, and you actually heard a lot of reception about Violet Mm Night. Shortly thereafter, they rolled out a lot of the marketing materials for this movie, and I was instantly intrigued by the premise of it, just considering that David Harbour is an actor that I really like, and also it's a Christmas movie. But I will say... I'm not a massive fan of Christmas movies, surprised to say. I have my few select favorites that I always revisit that I love. You know, Your Home Alone, Your Jingle All the Ways, Christmas Vacation. Like, I have my ones that I always go back to. But in terms of, like, a genre, they sometimes feel a little bit too gimmicky for me. So I'm not always attracted to them. But when you see the trailer for this, you're like, wait a second. This is is instantly something that I might be hooked on to, especially if you like action films. And I got a chance to check out this movie last week, and I have to say... It was such a fucking blast to see this movie just work on so many different levels that was almost so unexpected because of just the premise being so silly, but the way that it's executed, it's done with just such good attention to detail in terms of the technical precision of the action, but then then just in in addition to that, the story that they're actually trying to tell here. Essentially, this is a very simple premise. It's about Santa Claus. He's out on Christmas night delivering the (laughs) presents as you would expect him to do. In this universe, Santa Claus is indeed real. But this group of mercenaries actually, they commit a home invasion and they they take over this wealthy family's home and they take them hostage because they actually have a large sum of money that is somewhere in the vicinity. So it's a very simple premise. Santa just so happens to be at this particular house delivering presents when he runs into this gang of goons trying to rob this really, really wealthy family. And then we're just kind of off from there. (laughs) And it just turns into a full fledged action movie, which is like, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of why I'm here. And it absolutely delivered. I want to note that this movie is produced by David Leach, who we talked about Mm, earlier this year, because he he directed Bullet Train, which is a movie I know we both really enjoyed. David Leach also produced Nobody a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago with Bob Odenkirk, a really, really, really good action movie that's actually going to get a sequel next year. Um, That's just something that everybody should check out. It's just such a fun action movie. This is very much like that. This is like Nobody meets Home Alone. That's exactly what it is. And it's just such a ball because you go and you see this action. It's extremely, extremely violent, which is you. This is what you would want out of a hard rated R sort of comedic film. And they hold no punches. They pull no punches. David Harbour is great. He definitely makes sense of Santa Claus, Mm -hmm. but he's also like a really fucked up Santa Claus. He's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. He's overweight. I mean, Santa's already overweight, but he's like definitely overweight because he doesn't take care of himself. He just eats whatever the fuck he wants. Like you'll see him just randomly mixing whiskey with the cookies that are left out for him Mm -hmm. at night during Christmas he's that type of Santa Claus and so this guy has definitely had a rough rough time he doesn't necessarily want to do this but in coming in contact with his family and having to basically fight for his life you get you get a new (laughs) turn out of him and you just get so many really fun moments a lot of hilarious moments John Leguizamo is also really good in this movie Mm. I gotta say like He's been around for a long time, of course, and has had a really, really, really stellar career. But he's notably good in this movie. He's the antagonist. He's the villain. He's also coming off of a nice moment with the menu again. We talked about that earlier and a few weeks ago. And then just the rest of the supporting cast is pretty good as well. But you're really here to see the action from David Harbour, to see him just kind of whoop ass to Santa Claus. But he's not like this expert marksman. You know, he's just Mm -hmm. a guy who's a little bit big, who knows how to defend himself. And then you see all the hijinks pursue from there but this was just a really really fun movie it's a great action film it could definitely exist alongside a nobody you know again which came out a couple of years ago but it also kind of feels like a very isolated and contained die hard to an extent like Mm -hmm. it it feels like that but just on a much smaller scale the stakes are a lot lower the story is a little bit more intimate but that's why you enjoy it, man i definitely was was a bit surprised by how much i liked it but overall definitely a big success and i would definitely encourage people to go check it out especially now that we're in the midst of the holiday season
1: yeah during uh i think it was yeah it was new york comic-con they had a uh an early showing for it and i didn't get to make it i'm so mad i didn't get to go but everybody came out the the screening with like violent night christmas hats on and there there was this week that weekend i made some new friends and they actually ended up being like super nerdy film friends i was like oh shoot people who speak my language and i asked them how it was They was like that's pretty fucking good. I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like I it was I it just caught me off guard. Like a violent, you hear this the title Violent Night, you just don't say, "Ah, oh, that's probably going to be a good movie." Um, but you know, it, it sounds like they somewhat um subverted expectations. It came out with a, a decent action Christmas film, which is it, it's great, man, cuz I feel like if you know, I I I need more things to add to my yearly Christmas routine. Like there's a couple things that I'm I'm starting to have to switch out. I'm like I don't watch that so many times. Like I'm, maybe yeah. this ain't the year. So maybe maybe this is something new I can watch. Like so yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out real soon, man. But I've heard nothing but good. Like I I don't know anybody who said anything bad about this film. I know I actually know people who went to go see it in theaters more than once. They were like let's go do that again. And I was like oh, okay that that means that's a pretty good sign to me. You know if people can do that. Um, so yeah, man, I can't wait to check it out. It sounds dope. I love the I love the action idea, but also love that it's an action movie, a new action movie at Christmas time. People can watch, so I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's taking a very familiar concept and placing a very new twist on it, and just doing something totally different. And and again, I think that when you get the homages to other christmas movies that have come out in the past in the middle of it and you see how they just like put their own personal spin on it with the bloody violent action it's mm-hmm. like they know exactly what they are and, and and sometimes those are some of the best movies that we enjoy coming out of like genre fare because when you know what you are and you know what you have you can really excel at that and give people what they expect i do want to quickly just shout out universal for what they've distributed this year before we move on because in terms of genre films i think that they've kind of hit the ball out of the park maybe more than anybody Mm -hmm. i'll just read off what they've released this year in terms of their specific genre films ambulance which is something Mm i know we both really enjoyed Mm -hmm. the black phone one of the most notable horror films of the year we 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 can't forget about that emily the criminal i know we're going to talk about that next week which Mm -hmm. just came out Mm -hmm. beast which is just like this fun adventure movie man versus tiger and then next year probably going to end up on the top 10 most anticipated list a trailer that they just tried we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it cocaine bear they're coming out yeah. with the top <laughs> of next year so i really just appreciate universal mm-hmm. for tapping into these movies that over the past like five or six years we haven't seen that much of them just because like there doesn't really exist a market for them in terms of theatrical movie going but i just love the fact that they are kind of doubling down and releasing movies like this because Many times you would probably just only find these on streaming these days, but the fact that they are like, no, we're going to put out a survival drama. No, we're going to put out just like a hardcore ac- action Christmas film. Mm-hmm. No, we're going to put out a, a a a movie about a bear who sniffs co- cocaine and just goes ballistic <laughs> in the jungle. Like, we're going to put that out. Like, I just love these swings that they're taking because we just don't get that much of that, you know, that stuff anymore. Not so real. definitely can't wait for Cocaine Bear. Um, but those are our thoughts on Violent Night. If you've checked out this brand new action Christmas film, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. Isn't it crazy? We just reviewed movies from Guillermo, Antoine Fuqua, Wow, Darren Aronofsky, Wow, Alejandro, Park Chan Wook. Like it's kind of crazy. I mean, that list is yeah, just wild. Hitters, I just, in point there, that out too. <laughs> just some heavy, heavy hitters, especially like from international representation too. It's just kind of a crazy mm-hmm. time we're, we're living in right now. But let's move on and talk about the Game Awards, which actually just aired this past week across all digital platforms. So the Game Awards is something that we definitely wanted to talk about and acknowledge. A few big surprises, a lot of new world premieres and reveals and definitely some things we just wanted to kind of tap into and discuss here and give our general thoughts and reactions. I do just want to start off with probably the most notable news of the night from an award standpoint, because it's the one that we were really focusing on here. And that's the Game of the Year Award. Yeah. Now, you have played... Not only God of War Ragnarok, which we just recently reviewed, but also Elden Ring, which you reviewed Mm -hmm. on this show earlier this year as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember you mostly said this was going to be a two game race. It was going to be between Ragnarok and Elden Ring. One of these were going to walk away with the win. And coming into it, I had really bought into the idea that God of War Ragnarok was going to walk away with a trophy just based off of everything we know, Mm -hmm. how well it's received and the fact that it's sort of concluding the saga of this particular era of God of War. Now, God of War Ragnarok did walk away with the most trophies of the night. It won six awards, including Best... Performance by Christopher Judge, you know, lead, you know, sort of as the lead performance as Kratos, but Elden Ring actually picked up the biggest trophy of the night and game of the year, and and I think surprised quite a few people, um, and kind of came from behind to win that notable award. What are your thoughts just about you know all the trophies that both Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok picked up throughout the night, but just the fact that Elden Ring actually did walk away with the biggest award of the evening?
1: Yeah, man, this is really a legit battle of just two gaming behemoths, man. Santa Monica Studios and From Software. They've won before, you know. They've they've. These are two studios that have been here before. Literally, 2019 from Software is winning for uh, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. Year before last is when you know we had the first God Award. I think, uh, you know, sweeping sweeping up that award. So these are really people or two 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 studios that are. are I was ready for them to go at it at the top of the year. I, I knew it was going to be them. I just didn't know how the night would go. But after playing god of war it could be probably recency bias to be honest because after elder ring i was like i don't know god of war (laughs) um i you (laughs) know i I did also have this feeling that like man i although i'm saying god of war now i just don't know what's going to happen what's also funny about this the day before the game awards elder ring comes out with an expansion multiplayer expansion i was like okay y'all doing this on purpose like y'all just want everybody to say look everyone (laughs) elder ring is back um come play us again you know uh but man it's it's crazy to see how they even went back and forth on the small things like you said god of war wins best voice they win best or best uh performance they win best narrative best role playing game goes to elder ring it's just like you didn't know which way things were going to turn art direction i think went to elder ring too you just didn't know which way the the tides were going to turn but in thinking about it i think there's two reasons i think in which We've seen Elden Ring come through and sweep Game of the Year. One reason is because God of War 2019 was such a they changed the medium kind of game. Like they changed Mm -hmm. what we had never played anything like that before. Ragnarok was that, but they just built onto it. Right? They didn't technically invent anything new here. Like they, they 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 didn't really do that, but Elden Ring, it felt like from software, but in a lot of ways, it is 2019 God of War, but from from software games, and I didn't think about that before until they won. I was like, you know, I think I'm looking at this wrong, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, because Elden Ring did become more palatable for everybody. Just like before, everybody wasn't playing God of War, but 2019 came out. Oh, boy, it is. It becomes this big thing everybody wasn't playing from software games before people weren't playing bloodborne people weren't playing the dark souls games they were don't get me wrong it, was, it had a huge base but in terms of the reach it had Elden ring when it came out man was
0: it broke through for sure it
1: broke through it was any and everywhere i'm over here looking up theory videos like <laughs> i was i was youtubing the hell out of that game but i i think for that reason for, for that reason it made sense that Elder Ring came through with the W. It, it because it did feel like it was doing a lot of the same things that God of War 2019 did, as as well put together as Ragnarok is. They said, okay, we're gonna give Ragnarok some of them awards. Like, of course, best narrative. Elder Ring, to be honest, it has a narrative, but it's so hard to put together. Like the fact that on YouTube, the, every video begins with this is a theory is a problem. Like, <laughs> like nobody knows exactly what's happening
0: all the time. In Let's man. explain the game to you because you didn't understand what the fuck you just did. <laughs> And then
1: God of War also just has it, it. just very, very well put together, man. And so I think I think they gave it. They gave God of War the awards they needed to, but also recognized that Elder Ring was doing something different. And I think that's the reason it walked away with the award. The the way people talked about Elder Ring, that's the reason it walked away with the award. The replayability that Elder Ring is going to have. They just released a new expansion. It's multiplayer. Those aspects of the game. That's why they gave it game of the year. And so, um, yeah, man, that being said, a- again, in hindsight, it makes a ton of sense uh, why they did that. I-, I think I agree with everything for the most part, for sure. Um, but regardless, I knew it was going to be t- between those two people. And also regardless, they are the two that just was killing it the whole night. So as no surprises there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, when Elden Ring was released and you had talked about it. I I was hearing from people that that normally don't talk about video games, talk about Elden Ring. And I'm like, wait, so it's like that. So like (laughs) everybody kind of has to play it sort of experience and I still have to play it myself. But that that's what I was hearing. So I agree that this was the one from their developer that did really break through. Like they were building on stuff that they had done before, but creating something entirely new and different, you know, the sort of open world experience that had this really, really expansive gameplay that was just, you know, sort of unlike anything we've gotten in in, in recent years. And so it was able to keep up that momentum for the entire year. And also as watching, you know, as I was watching the show, I had gotten the feeling like once they had gotten to, the best game direction award mm-hmm. and they gave that to elden ring that's when i looked and i said oh wait Uh-oh. this actually <laughs> this actually might point mm-hmm. to them winning because game direction i mean that's big game direction the game of the year i feel like they're very tied together like that mm-hmm. that's that's saying a lot if you can win best game direction but as you said ragnarok still picked up some incredible stuff audio design yes. best narrative music best performance mm-hmm. you know music i mean christopher judge i i totally agree with that my guy gave a ten-minute acceptance long speech. I've never seen anybody <laughs> give an acceptance speech that long. Not only that, he completely ignored the music that played him off. Like he had no fucking care or concern about that music. He kept going. He's they, used to that. <laughs> the, <laughs> he's, yeah, exactly. They legit had to turn it up probably to the loudest volume possible to get him off stage. But also crazy to just see him like embrace Al Pacino. You know, that's so. Weird. That's probably a dream for Pretty him, cool right? Though, like yeah. as a performer, you know, as somebody yeah. that's like acting to, you know, to. to <laughs> to be embraced yes, by probably. one of the greatest actors of all time it's really cool um we should talk about like some of the other world premieres that happen the game awards of course rolls out a ton and ton of world premieres one that was heavily heavily publicized before coming into the show it didn't get leaked it was just like well actually i think it did get leaked but they you know just kind of went out and just said like this is going to happen it's star wars jedi survivor which mm-hmm. we know is yeah. the sequel to star wars fallen jedi that's going to be coming out This upcoming spring in March um, and I I, I saw this trailer and I looked at it and I think I think the trailer looks fine you know it didn't blow me away Mm -hmm. but I'm expecting the game to still be really good you know I've played bits and pieces of Fallen Jedi I still want to go back and like properly play through it all together Um, and that's a really good game I I really enjoy myself with the things that I have played from Fallen Jedi but looking at this gameplay trailer it looked fine I I still have excitement and anticipation for this is like the follow-up story of course to that game that came out a couple of years ago and was so successful, but the gameplay trailer itself, it was like, okay, this is kind of what I expect, but I also feel like you might be holding back some stuff. You know, you're you're, you're trying to reserve all of the big moments and surprises and the secrets because you want those to be experienced firsthand. You know, sort of as we play it. But what did you think about this reveal of, of the Star Wars Jedi Survivor gameplay?
1: Yeah, Um, it's everything I think that that I expected. Like you said, I, nothing too crazy happened. And didn't blow me away, uh, but it is a game that because they they harp on the idea that things might be canon (laughs) you know in 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 they just save a lot like i remember playing it i was like nobody told me this was in here nobody told me like yeah i was like dang where's all this stuff coming from (laughs) kind of type thing so i think they're just doing that again i think they're they're really their marketing is based the hype based off the hype of the last that combined with again just a little a little taste of what's going on um is 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 really their their strategy here. So yeah, not 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 too much to add, but still looking like you said, still looking forward to it. I think it's still gonna be a good game. My boy got a whole goatee now. He's grown up. He was a, <laughs> he felt like a kid before and now he actually feels like a man. You know, that's 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 kinda on the run here. Um uh, but yeah man I can't see uh wait to see what wait to see what they do because it's always cool to have like the only Jedi living story is always kinda cool to me. You know what I'm saying? If people run into you are like, oh you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's fight, kind of. Th- I think that's just a story that's always going to be kind of interesting to me, especially in a video game sense. It's like, hell yeah, i your ass too. I'm maybe the only one left, but what's good, you know, kind of type feel. So so we'll see.
0: Yeah, and this one is taking place, I believe, it's five years after the first one. Which, if canonically you look at the timeline, it's 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 really sort of lining up with what we just saw last year in the Obi Wan Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, perhaps. Perhaps Obi-Wan pops up. We don't know that for mm. facts, but as you said, that first game, it contains things that you just didn't necessarily expect mm-hmm. to see because of the tie-in with the with the official canon of Star Wars. Like this is very official for them and so uh yeah, there might be some possibilities there that we'll have to certainly see when the game does come out this upcoming March. We also got a new cinematic trailer for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League which when it first started, I was like, Jesus, Christmas, another cinematic trailer. We've gotten like <laughs> four of these from this game. I've been just waiting on it for years now. I think we first heard about it at DC Fandom in 2020, which we talked about a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. They released something at the Game Awards last year. It's obviously gone through a round of delays, but it is coming from Rocksteady, very trusted developer of the Arkham series. So I have full faith that it's going to be a very fun game. But when that when that cinematic started, I was like, come on, really? Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is all we're getting? Like... Just give me an actual d- date finally, please. But it was in the service of something greater and something better because at the end of the cinematic trailer, we found out that Batman will indeed be a part of this game and he will in fact be voiced by the late Kevin Conroy, who just passed away a few weeks ago. The Probably the most famous voice of Batman in history, of course, voicing him in the animated series back in the early 90s and just a slew of animated films and other TV projects that came thereafter. This apparently is going to be his final time voicing the role of Batman, which, I mean, is wow. sentimental and, and, and crazy timing, you know, that we're experiencing mm-hmm. this. But definitely I kind of have to, you know, sort of tip my hat to Rocksteady and the Game Awards for just making this announcement, knowing what moment exists right now, knowing that we just lost Kevin Conroy, because they probably would have held this as a secret, you know, until the game was released that Batman, like, is in fact a part of this he hasn't necessarily been revealed up until this point but i think the timing was perfect and it makes all the sense in the world
1: yeah there's also when when batman pops up in the trailer they actually play the arkham theme i was like oh shoot <laughs> what the hell's going on here this is really cool of course rocksteady like you said them being trusted i was like oh yeah this is this is dope but uh man now to be honest i'm just playing this game for kevin conroy um because there are i've Man, I was so excited for this game when it was first announced. But now I'm, I am wincing at the screen every day, every time I see something <laughs> about this game now. Like, I don't know how this is going to go anymore, you know, kind of feel. I'm having the Gotham Knights feel now to it um, now when I see trailers of this. But, but like I said, now I'm here for Kevin Conroy. I still can't wait to play it. Um, I remember after the trailer or after the awards went off, uh, the, the IGN announcers were talking about this game. They were saying how oh they just should have to the single player thing, and I just have to continuously disagree because there's no multiplayer games today. Like nobody has the four player, let's just do this, you know, kind of type gameplay anymore. So there's so many people against that, and I don't like that. You know, I'm like just make your four player games better. Like make your four player games feel like the AAA one player games. I know it's hard to do, but just put the work in, you know, kind of type thing. So. Um, I'm still looking forward to playing this with my friends regardless. And now I get to add on looking forward to hearing Kevin Conroy. I think it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It'll definitely be a sentimental moment to just like experience him one last time in a part of the story. So mm-hmm. hopefully the game just does come through and deliver after much, much anticipation. Um, another big announcement in terms of like comic book games that are going to be coming out. I did not know anything about this and the fact that they were developing, but Hellboy Web of Weird Mm. is actually going to be coming out very soon from Upstream, the developer Upstream Arcade. And it's in collaboration with not only Dark Horse Comics, but also Mike Mignola, who created Hellboy in the comics. Mm -hmm. And this is very much following in the same art style of what Mike Mignola created with that Hellboy comic And bringing over that style into this video game, it looks like it's going to be an action-adventure game. They showed off just brief, brief moments, but this got me super excited. Just because of the way that it looks, Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous that they can, like, translate something so faithful from the comic book over to, like, a video game. But also just the fact that Hellboy is a ridiculously underrated character. I mean, he's had some live-action adaptations, of course, that have been... Hits with Guillermo, but maybe misses in the most recent <laughs> one with with David Harbor, but still a very valuable character that I think has a lot left. And so this is going to be an original story that they're developing for this for this video game. But this is one that I walked away feeling very, very, very excited about after seeing this world premiere.
1: Yeah, the art style just stands out so much. It's literally straight out of Mike Mignola comic book, bro. I was like, what? How did they? How did they do this? I love when like. So I, I really love sometimes when uh, a game is driven by the art. And that's what this feels like for the most part. Like they they were like, there's one thing we got to get right off the jump, y'all. We got to get this comic Mike McNola Hellboy feel right. We got to get it correct. And it feels like they're doing that for the most part. So that absolutely makes me excited to play it. Something that feels new, something that feels different. And a Hellboy. I'm, I'm really on board. So I also can't wait um, to see what happens and to check it out
0: totally um as we wrap up here any other like big notable moments from you um in terms of the world premieres or any other award winners i know we got a new cinematic trailer for diablo Mm 4 there was the reveal that idris elba is going to be a part of the cyberpunk expansion hideo kojima was present announced a new game that's also going to have like some notable talent behind it anything that stood out for you i think final fantasy had something too which i know a lot of people were super excited about but uh what other you know sort of big announcements um happened throughout the show that that sort of stand out to you that you're excited about
1: yeah a couple quick hits uh shout out to marvel snap winning best mobile game I just started playing it. It's the shortest card game ever, <laughs> but it's like I heard about Marvel. It's Assassin. really I heard fun. Really good things about yeah, it. It's yeah, it's really fun. Actually, it's good because it's short. It's like three minute card games, but it's Marvel characters. It's, just, it's really dope. Um, so I, I definitely suggest that game. Also, shout out to um, Arcane for winning best video game adaptation. Uh, just well deserved. What an amazing ass! If y'all ain't watched Arcane, go watch it. I don't care what you like to watch. Go watch Arcane. You hopefully <laughs> I think you're gonna like it um Hideo Kojima man it's interesting to see uh uh, Death Stranding 2 pop up just because I know some people I don't know the first one wasn't their favorite a lot of people call it walking simulator or something like that which I think is funny but artistically everyone is just like no this game is the shit artistically so maybe they're harping on that and hopefully adding on to the gameplay um for Death Stranding 2 a game I still need to get to um other than that shout out to multiverses best fighting game i thought that was an important win for them um it is interesting to see a community rally around that game splatoon 3 wins the best multiplayer game over all the call of duties over all the 2ks they win both multiplayer games so i thought that was also impressive for splatoon 3 uh to get that uh, but other than that uh all i'll add is what me and Jordan were talking about before the podcast, it's crazy to see all these actors becoming part of Triple A video games. It's crazy. Uh it's it's just wild. It's just a wild time. Video games are literally becoming movies that people are getting casted in. It's the wildest thing, but it's also really cool to see. So um, yeah, shout out to that.
0: Yeah, and it's also becoming somewhat of a two-way street. Not only are the actors being a part of these, you know, notable popular triple A games, but also these adaptations as we're starting to get more of them mm-hmm. with things like The Last of Us, God of War is coming. We talked about Uncharted earlier this year. Big time actors are attaching themselves to these franchises That's like true. Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. were at the Game mm. Awards, you know, of course, because The Last of Us is yeah. about to come out. Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland are starring in an Uncharted movie. Despite the movie not necessarily being great, I mean, that that's still crazy <laughs> that they can that they can, you know, sort of attach themselves to to something that is so popular in the gaming world. So, it's a, it's a it's a really really exciting time I think across the board. And next year is going to be the 10th annual game Award. so it's certainly, you know, guaranteed to to be a big year next year. So, certainly can't wait to see everything that they produce from that. But with that being said, Let's move on to the news of the week, and we got one big thing that has a lot of different components to it to talk about, and it's our favorite studio, our favorite film studio over at DC, which uh, just cannot manage to stay out of the news, and I mean, it's a a really interesting time for DC at this moment. We've obviously discussed a lot of things that have happened over at their company across the year because there have been some major developments, not only in terms of just films that have come out, but just the -the behind-the-scenes transitional things that have been occurring. Of course, Warner Brothers Discovery is under new management and David Zaslav is now the CEO of the entire company. And in his transition, in the process of really just trying to shape the company and his vision, he appointed two new heads of a newly minted DC Studios division in James Gunn and Peter Safran, two collaborators, one on the business side, one on the creative side, to come together and forge a path for what the next really 10 years of DC is going to look like, which I know something people have been looking for that's something people have been looking for for quite a while like what's the plan what's the vision but now we're starting to slowly but surely see those pieces come into play and last week we actually found out that the impending wonder woman 3 movie that was in active development has actually been canceled patty jenkins and gal gadot the director and the actor were both slated to come back to wonder woman 3 Patty Jenkins actually just recently turned in a treatment for the movie. So again, this was an active development. And we found out actually that she had some disagreements with the film studio heads, not Peter Safran and James Gunn, but the actual Warner Brothers film studio heads. And because of her resistance to taking feedback and notes from them on the development of her treatment, she decided instead to walk away from the movie. Now, it was initially our understanding that this movie just got canceled out of nowhere because maybe James Gunn and Peter Safran didn't see Wonder Woman in their grand vision. Maybe this movie did not connect with the plans that they had laid forth in the future, but it's now to our understanding, based on numerous reports that have come out, that James Gunn and Peter Safran didn't really have anything to do with this decision. This was actually something that was really a little bit higher up than them. Again, her direct correlation to the Warner Brothers Studios film heads that lead up that division over there, but according to The rap, she walked off From the project after you know her ideas for the film were met with skepticism. Now, there's other things that have come out of this report. This is not the only thing that we have to talk about. There's actually other things that are that are developing over at DC, because now it's being said that maybe Black Adam 2 is not going to happen. As much as The Rock has touted the success of Black Adam, as much as he says that they're building out their own individual little universe and building up the DC universe. Maybe Black Adam 2 might not happen because the finances did not necessarily match up with what they were possibly expecting. Also, Man of Steel 2 seems to be up in the air. We also just found out that a script was actively being developed for Man of Steel 2, but that seems to be possibly on the chopping block. Henry Cavill was technically, I guess, confirmed to come back as Superman just a mere few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. which we were super excited about. But that might also kind of be up in the air and then we also then found out, I know this is a lot, y'all, there's so much to digest here, we also found out that a standalone Michael Keaton Batman movie was canceled. That was something that was being made and being in development, development, but that's been taken off of the board because, again, it just does not fit within the grand vision of what James Gunn and Peter Safran planned to do. And then The rap followed that up and said, well, not only was it going to be a solo Michael Keaton Batman movie, but Batman Beyond was actually going to be the central premise of that movie. So sort of a generational passing of the torch, which is just like, why would you tell me something if I'm not going to get it? But <laughs> be that as it may, here we are. Now, with all of that out the way and all of that said, James Gunn actually responded, as he usually always does on Twitter. He's very open and honest, as he can be. He came out the day after the Hollywood Reporter article broke and said this quote, so as far as the story yesterday in the Hollywood Reporter, some of it is true, some of it is half true, some of it is not true, and some of it we haven't decided yet whether it is true or not. End quote. He continued to say, quote, we know we are not going to make every single person happy every step of the way. But we can promise everything we do is done in the service of the story and in service of the DC characters we know you cherish and we have cherished our whole lives, end quote. So, there's a lot to digest here. There's so many moving pieces. I just kind of want to get your general thoughts because we we, we should spend a little bit of time on this. Let's hold off on Black Adam. Let's hold off on Man of Steel. Mm. Let's hold off on Michael Keaton because we will get to those things. I just want to start and get your ideas and thoughts on Wonder Woman 3 kind of being the biggest sacrificial lamb, I think, of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because those other things, we don't necessarily know if they're true yet. The Wonder Woman 3 cancellation That's seems real. pretty locked in and real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think multiple sources have confirmed it at this point. Yeah. And now they are saying Patty Jenkins is done with DC, at least at this momentary time in place. What are your thoughts on losing Wonder Woman 3? Does that upset you? Were you looking forward to the movie? Do you understand the reason for the cancellation, considering where Patty Jenkins is and mm-hmm. considering that she just, you know, really didn't want to deal with this anymore? What are your just thoughts on that?
1: Wow. Um, wow. First and foremost, Patty Jenkins has been going through it for a very long time here. I, I'm i never going to forget for a very brief moment, but she was tied to, like, Thor the Dark World for a little bit. <laughs> And she left. She that. sure was. We continuously have been talking about this year how she was tied to Star Wars Rogue Squadron. She's not going to get to make that anymore. And then they come along and say, you know, we can't we not doing this woman. Wonder Woman three stuff. No more, Patty. We we there's just too much. Uh, we, hey, we haven't. We We will let you make it. As long as you give us, you know, a little bit of heads up what you're doing. Can we make a couple changes here and there? Patty was like, hell no. And that was it. She said, I'm not doing that. It's either my movie or it's nobody's movie. And she just left. I have to respect that idea, at least. I have to respect the idea that I have a movie. I have a vision in my head. People want to tamper with that vision. And if I can't make the movie the way I want to make it, then I'm leaving. I have to respect that. As much as I know that hurt her as much work I know that she had probably put into that script. Uh I, I can kind of get it, I think, from from that point of view. It's what a weird time I think to be in for her. What a weird moment to be in for her in watching a movie like Wonder Woman eighty four flop <laughs> the way it did, right? For us to talk about that movie mm-hmm. in such a unfortunate light, you know, that we do. It's 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 not a very good movie. It is what it is. I like Patty Jenkins. I don't like Wonder Woman 84. It's not a good movie. And part of me absolutely did want to see Wonder Woman 3. In some ways, that's a redemption story. You know? I, w- one of the things that frustrated me about this news more than anything was everyone saying, oh, thank God. Wonder Woman 84 was so bad. Oh, thank the <laughs> heavens. Yes. We didn't want it anyway. And, and part of me can, can understand that. Because of again recency bias, like I I get it. Wonder Woman before wasn't good. I absolutely get it. Right. I get that. But I I just can't sit around and pretend like Wonder Woman 2017 ain't happened. Like <laughs> I just it, that's weird to me. Like people are just like throwing that out the window. Like that was a really good movie, and it really it was a it was a time where we all felt like DC was making a slight comeback. Like it was like Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Like everyone was like, okay, they might have something on their hands, and so that. I don't know. All of that just feels like it's being lost in translation because the way eighty-four happened. So that that's the main thing. It's not even that it's not the news itself per se. It's the way people were responding to the news that was kind of sure. dri- driving me a little bit. I'm like, Are y'all serious right now? kind of type thing. Also, that being said, I kind of feel like it is what it is in some ways. Like I feel like if James Gunn and Peter Safran have if they're trying to redo this whole thing, right? If they're trying to literally service the characters, as James Gunn said, and they're trying to, I don't know, do certain things, I don't, You, I i think I even see you made a, make a point. The character, Gal Gadot, probably isn't going anywhere. But that movie potentially didn't service their idea of what DC is moving forward. Maybe there is a Wonder Woman movie in the future. It's just not Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that does happen somewhere down the line. But, and in the spirit of seeing things get gutted, I can't, I'm not too surprised <laughs> that Wonder Woman three is among them. I'm still su- I'm surprised the Flash is coming out. To be honest, I'm like, damn, that movie's still happening. Like that movie is not real.
0: <laughs> it cannot actually exist. I don't believe it.
1: But it, they say it's happening, so I guess it's happening. <laughs> but like, it's 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 yeah, man. It's just like I I think I get it. I, I i think i do from the business side from the from the shotgun i mean from the i get pity patty jenkins i get i get james gunn i get peter saffron i get i think i get dc here it's just a weird timing weird conflict of interest kind of things going on um and yeah i think i think so, we're putting the horse before the cart a little bit and saying like oh no when a woman's no more i'm like no just this movie <laughs> isn't anymore, and I think we should leave it at that for now. And, and again, recognize that the bigger picture is James Gunn trying to get this, this steer this ship correctly. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Yeah. So it, it, and and I think it's it's important to reiterate that according to the rap, this is what they're telling us. So we just kind of have to take it take it for what they say. But Patty Jenkins at this particular juncture was specifically dealing with the co-chair persons of Warner Brothers film who were above. James Gunn and Peter Saffron, mm-hmm. of course worked directly with them right, but right, right. Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi this is apparently who she was interfacing with in terms of this treatment and ultimately where it broke down because I imagine she was working on it before the announcement of, of James Gunn and Peter Saffron coming on but obviously those two would have input as the two people leading the ship this is what I will say about the cancellation of the movie I totally agree Wonder Woman 84 it's just a bad movie and because it was a bad movie, it didn't make a ton of money, though it did come out in the mist and the height of COVID, really in a bad time. It had the whole day and date HBO Max release, which was very, just a misfire. I think just a, a bad decision across the board. So there were some circumstances handed to that movie that never set it up to succeed. It absolutely would have made more money, but it did end up still being not a great movie. So it wouldn't have made that much more. I think it would have seen a noticeable drop off. I am of the mindset that if you kind of fuck things up along the way... That doesn't necessarily mean you should just get another crack at it. Now, they were going to go with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot once again. I think that they had enough in the chamber from that first movie, enough goodwill to still just go after another film to at least, as you say, go after a redemption story. Try to end things off in the most positive way possible because, look— There aren't just a ton of Patty Jenkins walking around on the street. There's not just a ton of Gal Gadot's, regardless of how you may feel. I think that she's a really, really tremendous Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. You just can't find a person like that on the street and just say like, yeah, this is our new Wonder Woman. Now, James Gunn, Peter Safran, I have faith that they will find whoever they need to find. If it is a new Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. I don't know if Gal Godot's going to come back. I have faith that they will do everything that they need to do to get, get us excited about that. But in addition to that, in addition to just not getting an automatic green light because your work... Did not meet the expectations of everybody, you know, around you. Patty Jenkins, we cannot forget, has gone through pretty much every iteration of what DC has been up until this point. Right. Like three regime changes. Like she started with Kevin Tsujihara, wow. who was running things around the Zack Snyder era. She also inherited Gal Gadot. She had no say in the casting of that woman as Wonder Woman. Now, of course, they're really close and she loves the casting choice. She thinks Gal is perfect. You can see her words on that in multiple, multiple stories. But she already started off on that type of foot. And then to transition into the Walter Hamada era, which might have been the most fractured that it's been in terms of what DC's been put out because Walter Hamada was simultaneously trying to clean up the Snyder era. And what Kevin Sujahara did, Mm -hmm. while also establishing a new path forward, in the midst of that, Wonder Woman eighty four comes out, not a great movie. Now you have not only James Gunn and Peter Safran, but you also have an entirely new company. They just got sold from AT and T and merged with Warner Brothers Discovery. So Patty Jenkins, I mean, she might have just gotten fed up. She might have just reached her breaking point. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Y'all probably won't even be here in a year anyway. Fuck this. I'm not doing it. now. I hope I hope Jane's gonna Peter Safran stick around for their entire tenure, but she's been there and done that. And so she probably just got sick of it and said, "Like, I don't need this. Life is too short. I can go on and do something else. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm really not that mad at her for walking away. Because as you said, as a, as a creative, if it just does not align with what you want and what you foresee with the character in the story, and you make the choice to just fall on your shield and walk away from it, then so be it. Cause clearly it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to walk away from what was reportedly a twelve million dollar payday, it's not about the money anymore. It's about wanting to tell the best story possible, and she just she didn't see eye to eye with them. Now apparently she sent them an email with the Wikipedia definition of a character arc. I'm probably shouldn't have done that.
1: I'm so (laughs) dead.
0: Probably not the most tasteful thing to do, but I, I mean she she seems angry, and I think she seems fed up. So. I I won't hold that against her because anybody will do anything and make a mistake in the heat of the moment. So it is what it is. Gal Gadot, I I don't know. Do you think she comes back? Do you think it's likely that she is still the Wonder Woman that we move forward with? I mean, it's it's so hard to tell because when you Mm -hmm. cancel a whole movie, it's like, well, she's probably out too. Do you think she's the one that sticks around for the role? And do you even want her to be the person to stick around and still play Wonder Woman?
1: You know, I think it depends on what the energy says for the DC universe as a whole. Depends on... It'll be weird if, let's say, James Gunn and Peter Safford are like, okay, guys, we are looking to have a Justice League film in what year is this? 2025, 2026, right? And you, they got, let's say, they keep Henry Cavill. Let's say they keep Ezra Miller. And then there's this miscasted Wonder Woman over here. I'm like, who is this? You know, I'm, it's going to look weird. So I think it depends on the energy. Say, Say they do get rid of Henry Cavill. Say they swap skip the whole cast. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, we talk about Aquaman the Lobo stuff at some point. Like, let's say they just change everything. No, she doesn't come back. I think as simple as that. But I think I think in, in, in the world where everyone else stays the same, I can see her trying to get her I can see them trying to get her back and maybe just try to recontextualize her. I can see that. Um, but I think it just depends on which way that they're trying to take this thing. And I think that's the hardest part that makes it to, to talk about this because we don't know yet. Like, even, even James Gunn, the, the tweet you said, he don't even know yet. He's like, some of that stuff. Yeah, is it's shit. not even final. He's like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> that's literally <laughs> all that James Gunn just said is like, shit, maybe. That's literally what his what he's saying right now. He's like, possibly. Um. So, yeah, I I, I think I would like to see her come back. Again, I, I like her as the character as Wonder Woman. I think she's different uh Diana Prince is super white technically Gadot is is spicy white you know she adds a little something different <laughs> to the character she's not just like this white woman out here waving her hair she does have her Israeli or whatever stuff going on so I kind of like that about her and her accent and her character it does make it feel like the mascara is a different place <laughs> when I see her so I don't know man I, I, I wouldn't mind them keeping her but we we'll just have to see
0: so that's a great segue because, again, in this article, it wasn't just about Wonder Woman 3 being canceled. Of course, that's the the big headline that, that everybody's going to take note of. But it had a lot in here, including that a Black Adam sequel might not actually happen despite what Rock the Dwayne Johnson consistently tells us on social media, touting the horn of Black Adam, touting the horn of the JSA, saying that Black Adam made money, whatever. Um, but then in addition to that, that Man of Steel 2... A Superman sequel starring Henry Cavill might also potentially be unlikely. But this is this is where it gets sticky. Because on the surface, I think when we read all of this news, it feels like what James Gunn and Peter Safran are doing is a hard reboot of all of this shit. Wiping the slate clean. Saying, we're just going to start from scratch because that's really the only way that we can successfully forge ahead with the DC Path. That's within our vision with with, with, with what's in our scope of, of what we see as the best possible stories that we can tell for fans and for audiences. I think the issue with that is, the one small issue, because it could, it could probably quickly be rectified. James Gunn himself has made his own projects within the DC Universe. And earlier this year, he said that he's actively developing Peacemaker Season 2. We know that he's also working with other spinoff characters from the Suicide Squad movie that he directed a year ago. They announced... An Amanda Waller series. I know he said that Margot Robbie is like the best actor he's ever worked with. He he wants to work with her again as Harley Mm -hmm. Quinn. Now, there haven't been necessarily official announcements to these projects. And they could still, I guess, technically be canceled. He could Mm -hmm. perhaps say like, well, this isn't in service of the grand vision. So maybe I don't move forward. But I guess I'm just interested in your thoughts in terms of what a reboot looks like. If that's the best course of action. Because, listen, over the past few years... Again, I think Walter Hamada's reign has largely been so divided that it couldn't be as successful as maybe we would have liked it to be because he was trying to do two things at once. Mm. Not only rectifying the mistakes of the past, but still doing something new and different, which resulted in probably, I think, mixed results. Because many of the movies that we came out with during that notable time, Shazam or Joker, Matt Reeves the Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman 84, some of them are great, some of them are not so great. But they're all pretty much standalone stories that aren't leading to anything. Mm-hmm. There is really no connective tissue amongst any of these projects. And I think that that was pre- pretty much like the best that Walter and do. But now it seems like let's get every- everything on the same page. Do you think a hard reboot is likely? Is that the way to go? And if so, what potential muddy waters might exist with some of these threads that still are kind of tied to the Snyderverse of the past?
1: Man, it's it's a tall task, you know, for, for, for James Gunn and Peter Sa- Saffron to pick up. It really is, man. It's hard. It's hard to say. Of course, it's easy for James Gunn to be excited about these small projects when he doesn't have to worry about the big project. <laughs> now he has to worry about the big project. I I can only imagine James Gunn being like, now what time do I have to write an Amanda Waller series when I clearly need to be making a Superman movie? You know what I'm saying? Like I don't. <laughs> it's just hard. It, it's some things are hard to conceptualize now. With this new job that he's been given, with this new these these new reins that, that 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 he has to take, I think we're, we might we may still be looking at it, still a soft reboot though. I still don't see the super hard reboot coming, and I say that still because of the priority we're still putting on Superman, in 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 it still kind of feeling like it's Henry Cavill, you know what I mean? Like it's like ah. <laughs> and uh, he
0: said it himself that he was coming back but i i don't know does it i don't know is is it is it not a is it not a strange look to like three weeks ago we're seeing henry cavill like Mm -hmm. announce i'm back baby and then you know (laughs) maybe fast forward two months and james Gunn's like no you're not actually (laughs) are
1: you sure you're back are you sure and
0: I, i even saw like a twitter user come out and say like oh yeah reports are saying that james gunn doesn't like henry cavill and james Mm. gunn fired back like that's not true like he he dispelled that immediately like that is not true Mm. like whoever your reliable source is quote unquote they're wrong and james gunn also said that superman is a huge priority for them if not the biggest priority Mm. but i just what it just i don't know i and this is why they get paid the big Mm -hmm. bucks because i I don't even want to think about this but how do you manage that like when the rock is out here actively campaigning and saying, all like, damn. yeah, we got Henry Cavill back. <laughs> we did this. We worked on this for six years, all for this five-second post-credit scene only for these new leaders to come in and say, like, that's just not going to fit. It's not going to work. We're going to go in a different direction. Yeah, I, I think
1: there's there's room to, I don't know, to maneuver, man, to move around. I will say, in a world where, where Suicide Squad 2016 exists, is also James Gunn, the Suicide Squad. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if anybody can retextualize something that already exists. We got the man that can do it. You know what I'm saying? And so even if they say Black Adam sequel is unlikely, I don't even think that means we don't see the Rock and Henry Cavill fight. Maybe we see them somewhere mm-hmm. else. Maybe mm-hmm, it's just not mm-hmm. a Black Adam sequel. Maybe we we learn through numbers, through box office, Black Adam didn't do that as great as they thought it was going to do. But maybe those characters can fit somewhere else. Maybe James Gunn goes well, duh, he's just a Shazam character. Maybe all these people should be in a Shazam movie and they do that instead. Sure. You know what I'm i don't know. I feel like the guy that knows how to recontextualize can just do that. Like he'll figure it out. And so that I'm really harping on everything off of like what I know about James Gunn. I know he is capable. That is what I know. <laughs> and I know he is capable of directing multiple characters at once on the screen. That is what I know. And so I'm just imagining him just slightly changing these things to make as many parties as hap- happy as possible. That's the only thing that I can I can figure out. He's going to do the thing that feels the best creatively. And, and part of me feels like scrapping all of these characters who feel like the characters isn't that. Like, I just don't see him going, Henry Cavill doesn't even look like Superman. He's not our Superman anymore. Like, I can't see him doing that. Like, James Gunn is mm-hmm. a very competent... <laughs> No, that dude looks like Superman. We just don't know what we're doing with him. We sure. don't know if his man is still too. I think that's the question. He, he was like, "Harry Cav was oh, like, 'Oh, I'm coming back.'" And James Gunn is like, "But we don't know about Man of Steel, though, bro. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pump the brakes. Like, it might not be on. all that. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> we don't know what that looks like yet. Um. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think we'll we'll have to see the way he recontextualizes. But again, I'm, I'm. I'm just rooting for James Gunn and what he has. I, I really just can't wait to see what he comes up with.
0: Yeah, I, I will say, in the, we need a Superman movie. Like, it yes. doesn't have to be Man of Steel too, but a Superman, Superman movie has to happen. Has to happen. That, that, that needs to, and I, I'm glad he said that that's, like, one of their biggest priorities. This is just so, it's so weird because it, it almost feels like that there's an element of... Uh, campaigning happening like when you see the rock out here when you see gal gadot like the message she sent out like a day before this happened saying how grateful she was to be cast as wonder woman you have the rock tweeting all the time about the hierarchy of power in the dc universe is changing yeah no shit it really is changing my guy because like you're not leading it maybe as much as you thought it was but it feels like some of these stars might have been campaigning for their spots within the DC universe trying to you know sort of play nice to make sure that they have a solidified position within this grand context of what they're going to roll out I could be dead wrong you know I could be totally wrong on that but it's weird when mm-hmm. you get these mixed messages we're just kind of in that 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 uncomfortable area of not knowing and and as you said they don't even know this week is literally the week that they're presenting their plan at least the first draft of it to David Zaslov. like he has to sign off on this shit before they even tell us about it so it's not even firmed up and finalized but i think in looking ahead and i've said this somewhat before not only one do i have faith that the plan is going to be good and exciting and very sound and well thought out but if the hard reboot is the option and the and the direction to go mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. then then so be it yeah. i'm gonna respect that and say like all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, now we can just start with a completely clean slate because we've tried the we've tried the, the, the back and forth yeah. for the past like five years. And it's kind of work and it kind of hasn't, if we're being honest. So if we're just going to start from scratch, let's go. Let's go all in. Mm-hmm. I can totally respect that, especially as the guys who want to make their own mark on it. I agree. My only caveat is and my only thing is you kind of alluded to this earlier, like James Gunn. I know you love those small characters. I know you love the characters that. We all look at it and say, like, wait, we're, we're giving who a show? We're, we're, we're doing a movie about who? Mm-hmm. And then we all of a sudden are totally surprised by that. You have to announce projects, movies, and series that it. people are going to get excited mm-hmm. about. You have to tell people Superman is coming. You have to let people know this is going to be Wonder Woman. This is going to be Green Lantern. This is what we're doing with Batman. Like, you can't just, like, go around the heavy hitters and then figure it out later and I don't think that they're going to do that, but I think you have to announce these things and show us what the plan is. Because a part of the reason that DC has been not as successful as they could have been is because there's just a lack of faith in their planning ability. There have been so many projects announced that end up getting canceled that we never see the light of day with. And it's happening even now. And people are like, oh, same old shit. Another movie's not happening. So I think that you have to announce these things. We have to see when they're coming out. Stick to those as closely as possible, you know, and try to avoid any sort of delays that you can. Of course, that's going to be a part of the process. But try to stick to it as close as possible. But also announce things that we will be excited about. Like, you can't just come out and say, like, we're doing a fucking, I don't know, just pick a random character. Like, we're doing Booster Gold. Nobody's going to care about (laughs) Booster Gold. Even though I want to see it, nobody's going to give a fuck. You know, Mm -hmm. like... It has to be stuff that folks are going to talk about and get really excited about. So that's like a huge part of it. Now, in the next year, we have four projects coming out. We have Shazam Fury of the Gods, Mm -hmm. this apparent Flash movie that somehow has moved up an entire week and is coming out sooner than we even thought (laughs) that's starring a so-called actor. We're also getting a Blue Beetle movie, which is now being released theatrically, although it was initially planned for HBO Max. And then rounding out the year is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Another thing that this article pointed out is that one of the potential options that's on the table, get this, maybe at the end of next year that closes the book on the Snyderverse, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom will officially be sort of the last project Mm -hmm. of the Snyderverse era because he did help cast Jason Momoa. That'll close out that chapter and then we'll start to get the new projects. And in doing so, perhaps Jason Momoa could be recast and come back as Lobo which I know a lot of people are fan casting him <laughs> as, but it's like, well, how would that work if he's already Aquaman that was thrown out there. But in addition to that, there was also a rumored project, a ru- a rumor, Michael Keaton, standalone project that was going to be a Batman beyond movie that got canceled. So I don't know how we navigate this over the course of the next year. And maybe this, this is a part of the rollout. Cause we're supposed to apparently get this, this plan at the top of the new year, yep. apparently. And so maybe a part of that announcement is, Hey folks, we have four projects coming out this year we're super excited about. This is the end of the previous regime. After 2023, everything you see mm-hmm. is fresh and new and and and, and under our scope, and, and it's going to be the beginning of our plan starting in 2024. I mean, what do you think about that potentially being a course of action? This Aquaman, Jason Momoa news possibly being on the table and just like losing out on what seemed to be a Batman Beyond movie that was on the horizon.
1: Wow. So many L's. Um... <laughs> I just got to start. Batman Beyond is an L. We as an audience, <laughs> as fans, took an L. Uh, he, we lost with the Batman Beyond news, bro. We lost. We needed to. I one. cannot believe y'all told me that. Uh, Michael Keaton in a Batman Beyond, like Terry McGinnis Batman Beyond, like a new Batman was going to happen. A Batman we've never seen before. I just can't, I can't even wrap my head <laughs> around that. I really, because that that's, that would have been a treat, man. I'm really, I, that's like the news. I'm really, really sad about. I'm like, damn, we're not getting this Batman Beyond movie that we didn't even know about to begin with. Goddamn. Okay, that's cool, I guess. Um, that hurts for sure. Uh, man, it's it's also weird. Because I still have a feeling that we're gonna like Shazam by the end of this. <laughs> like I feel like Shazam 2 is also still gonna be a really good movie, like the first one was. Like Agreed. Uh, yeah, that also sucks. It's like, damn. We just that's it. Like, imagine we get to, Blue Beetle is happening. We get Jaime. i I can just, like imagine that movie's good. And we're just like, well, this is not connected to anything. Goodbye, old. Snyder burst, like damn close the
0: curtains it's also crazy too cause Zach Levi who plays Shazam was mm-hmm. just at a con this past weekend and talked about the fact that one Peter Safran is the producer of the Shazam movies and in addition to that Zach Levi is super close with James Gunn they're actually friends in real life wow. and so he said on stage like you know, those are my buddies. Like, I really like those guys, so I hope I'm in the plans, but I don't know. <laughs> he couldn't tell us anything because they still don't necessarily know, and yeah. so that's an added sore spot, right? Like, what what if he's not in the plans? And and you know that that is a property I know we both really, really, really mm-hmm. like. It was it was a shining star, and so again, it just it gets really complicated when we start to take away these things. If it is a hard reboot, yeah. we take away these things we really do like, and we possibly have to start fresh. Yeah,
1: I think I can see a, a moment where. I know it's hard to conceptualize. For sure, it's hard to think about. But if they say, "Oh, we're doing a reboot," but a lot of the castings are remaining, I'm also hella okay with that. <laughs> like, no, so, I didn't think like, about that. Some Keep of this the people in casting. place. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, some of the casting is just good. It's just there. It already exists. But maybe the movies aren't as good. So, like, skip those movies. We're gonna move with new stories, but a lot of the same cast. I'm also okay with it. the The, the thing that is throwing me off is the lobo of it all. This does like it is really like <laughs> so
0: random. I don't
1: know where this is coming from. But like Lobo, I, I I have to say this. The man's Jason Momoa looks just like Lobo. It that's true. That's true. You want to talk about perfect casting? You talk about man, oh, man, you talk about man of steel, you talk about Superman and Henry Cavill. Jason Momoa will play the shit out of some Lobo. That is true. He would. That is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. And so it's it's it is one of those weird characters that actually people have been talking about for years. You know what I'm saying? Like Lobo is pretty dope. Like he's not one of those people that like people just throwing up in the air and being like, y'all should do this. It's like, no, that shit is tight. Like y'all should do some Lobo stuff. So that that's what's throwing me off. Having to recast this guy and throw him away as Aquaman and bring him back as Lobo is weird for me. Part of me, to be honest, would love for them to just keep both. Like Lobo is so weird. He literally has a white paint. He, you know what I'm saying. He looks different than Aquaman does. Part of me sure. is like, just play both, bro. You know what I'm saying. Like, part of me is like, eh, as long as you're not on screen at the same time. Like, I mean,
0: the MCU has done it. They've they've, they've you know it. used the same act. Gemma Chan was in both Captain Marvel and then came back for Eternals. Um, somebody else I'm I'm yeah, forgetting right now. They, they they have done that before. They've
1: done it. So just like part of me is like, just do it. Kind of again you know what I'm. what it's not like Lobo's gonna be out here in every Justice League movie you know what I'm saying like not right. like we're gonna be out here looking at Lobo in the next Aquaman film like no we're not and so part of me is like y'all could do both and I'm okay with that too like just yeah and I, I, I think I think there's something that I have to figure out but that's the, that is the one thing that's throwing me off it's like goodbye Aquaman hello Lobo is like a I don't know what we're doing there that's the thing that's throwing me off but other than that man I'm okay with keeping a lot of these same actors
0: that, that that feels, the Lobo news feels like one of the things James Gunn was referencing when he said, you know, we haven't decided yet whether that's <laughs> true or not. Like, we've thought about that, but we don't even know yet, because that's a crazy idea. Could it could it be just as simple as saying, hey, folks, all of this stuff that happened before, just ignore it. We've seen other franchises do that. Mm. Like, think about Halloween. Halloween comes back Halloween in 2018. Do they do said it. everything after the first movie didn't happen doesn't matter just go with it and we did mm-hmm. we we just kind of did is it as simple as that to just say like yeah Snyderverse stuff we're gonna keep those same actors to your point mm-hmm. we'll keep the people that we really really like but these events just didn't happen because again mcu is kind of doing that think about daredevil kingpin mm. it feels like they're kind of just That's saying true. yo, they're too good to recast those shows might not have happened but they kind of did happen but we're not going to acknowledge it is it just is it just a simple fix like that
1: I think it may be man i think one of the things i i think something marvel understands is the power of just saying of intentionality that's what that's how marvel has always thrived they tell you what they're going to do the the roadmap may not be perfect but most of the time they do it you know what i'm saying they tell us a guardians movie is coming out probably coming out you know what i'm saying and they and they do it again with intentionality and I think if DC does that, they move with that same telling people what it is. Like we've been me we've gone back and forth on this show multiple times about what are we doing with all these universes? These pocket, there's 50 Batmans, there's 50 jokers. Where the hell, like, what's going on? Come out and just say what you're doing. Give us guidelines onto what you're doing remember when freaking hbo max was coming out and everyone was like but there's go there's regular hbo max yeah just tell people which is another thing we need to talk about just calling that shit max i don't know what's going on there but like (laughs) max like like, just tell people what you're doing and i like we're not dumb i think that's the thing that marvel also understands like just tell them what we're doing and they're gonna be like oh okay and accept it. And if you, the earlier you tell people, the more we accept it. If you tell if if the plan comes out next year and James Gunn is like, "Yeah, we're 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 keeping all the actors, but this is like a rebooted universe." Bet. Okay, like people're going to get that. Sad. We're yeah. not dumb, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so I think if they did something like that too, I think yeah, I think I could wrap my head around that.
0: That feels potentially like the the scenario in which everybody could still win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow, we love Henry Cavill. We love Zach Levi. Yeah. Like we love these actors. So we don't lose them. Yeah, those stories in our universe they didn't happen, but you'll always have the movies. We'll always have Man of Steel. I'm gonna rewatch it. You know, we'll always have Wonder Woman. I'm gonna rewatch it. Yeah. But for the purposes of the narrative that we're telling for the next 10 years mm-hmm. That stuff just doesn't, it's not, it's not in line with what we're going to do forward. It could just be that simple. And then you, you know, come I think out people might, man. yeah, and, and, right. And, and kicks it all off. Mm-hmm. Right. And they do their own version of Superman and hopefully fucking Steven Spielberg. Oh my, that's a way the to
1: restart a fucking universe right there. Now,
0: yes. If you want to, <laughs> you want to send off a sounding shot and let everybody know that they're not playing. That's how you do it. That's the way. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing before we finally close a, a book on this um, or turn the page, I should say, because this book is not finished. The only certainties that we do know, because this has pretty much been confirmed, these outside projects, the Batman by Matt Reeves (laughs) and the Joker universe from Todd Phillips, they not touching that. That shit is just like, that's over in that different sandbox. It ain't got nothing to do with what we're doing. We gonna let Matt Reeves cook because he got like four spinoff shows coming. Mm -hmm. He's doing the Penguin. They're working on that right now. We know that the Batman 2 has been confirmed earlier this year. We just got our first official image from day one of shooting from Joker, Folly, do the follow up to the first film, which apparently is going to have musical elements and Lady Gaga starring alongside Joaquin Phoenix. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about these separate things still coexisting alongside what is likely to be a singular narrative storyline that's connected between a group of characters that ultimately probably results in some sort of crossover event that they do. So it'll be these two things sort of happening parallel, technically I guess three universes because Joker doesn't exist alongside Matt Reeves. Those two are separate. And then we're going to have whatever else is separate with, with, which is what Gunn and Saffron are currently developing.
1: Man. um, You know, those are just the two poster children. They can't touch. I think it's as simple as that, bro. When Joker comes along, makes a Billy (laughs) off of a, barely in a budget at all <laughs> they mm-hmm. it's just a poster child it's like well sure we were, we were doing all this stuff over here but that, that was never in the talks about anything that been safe the whole time like you know what i'm saying like joker's always been in the pocket like we're not touching that the batman comes out matt reeves has a vision very well executed amazing filmmaker you don't touch it it's another poster child the batman's great you know what i'm saying like you just they're not in the conversation with all this <laughs> kind of type thing. So I'm I'm still fine with it for now. I still would like there to be like a a way for them to expand I think those universes if they so chose. If they did say universe two universe three thing I don't know like Earth whatever I still I think think that would be cool. Like, oh you're talking to your friends he's like no man it's an earth three movie. What are you talking about? Not an earth one movie. Like I don't know. I think that could be very very simple way to continue to distinguish things for your viewers. That's another thing. As long as you come out and say what it is, there's no more confusion. As, as soon as sure. DC says Joker exists in this pocket, in this pocket only, everyone says okay, and they walk away. And that's it. You keep making Joker movies as long as it makes money. Do whatever your heart desires. And so, man, yeah, I I, I think that's really it. Like once you tell people what it is. There's no complaints. And I'm okay with it. And I think other people will be okay with it. If they're not now, I think they will be. And I think in the back of their minds, as they are redoing this and and figuring this thing out, James Gunn is like, yeah, maybe even do our announcements at the top of the year. We are going to say... Don't forget about the Batman and Joker universes, which are separate from this. They exist in their own. Like, I feel like there will definitely be a reiteration at the bottom of the page after he lays out his plan. Like, you know what I mean? Type thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think the only thing that is interesting is that if we are redoing this whole thing, They're going to have to talk about Batman soon. That's the only thing. You know what
0: I'm saying? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't say multiple Batman again. We got to do this shit over again. We got to
1: do that shit again. Uh, That's what makes Batman Beyond so sad. You could have easily threw in a nice little Terry McGinnis, who's our new Batman for the universe. You know what I'm saying? Like, Could have easily done it. But here we are. Now we have to talk about Batman for the 5,834th time. It just has to happen again. uh, It's unfortunate, yes, but if that's if that's what those, they choose to do, that's the direction we have to go in.
0: Yeah, those are the growing pains. I forgot to mention that was also a part of this. This article was so dense; you really should read it if you haven't. But they also talked about how the Flash. There is a confirmed Henry Cavill cameo that was filmed. What and there were also rumors that other that other characters were going to pop up. But we heard like recently that it's getting like good reception. But they said that there's no world in which this movie is like actually picture locked. Anything could change. They could remove the cameo. There was also the rumor that Ben Affleck was showing up as Batman and Aquaman Mm -hmm. in the Lost Kingdom. Who knows if that sticks around, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, so there, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff in flux. To the Joker point, I tell people this all the time, there was no world, there was no reality that they were not going to make a Joker sequel after the first one made a billion dollars. As soon as it did what it did, On a $65 million budget, and it made a billion dollars, there was no reality. I know I know that they set out to make a one-off, and that's how it was designed. This not is an is isolated story. But when you are you fucking kidding me? Mm. That much money? We're, we're just not going to do it. Joaquin's not going to come back and get paid a ridiculous amount of money. Todd Phillips not going to come. Yes, they are. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, as you said, they pretty much have creative free reign to do whatever the fuck they want because yeah. they – Kind of earned it. And he got a Best Actor Academy Award. Like, what are you saying? Batman stuff, mostly the same. Hugely successful. Yep. Highest grossing DC movie in a long time. Yep. Matt Reese, he did what he said he was going to do. He proved himself. Now he gets his own little universe. I mean, he he worked for it and he deserves it. So it is what it is. All all all's it will take is like a 60-minute keynote at the top of the year, like you said, from James Gunn to come out and say, hey y'all this is what we're doing this is what's separate this is what's connected boom let's get going and let's make this all happen as best as we possibly can but that was dense that was a lot but we had to talk about all the ins and outs as it relates to everything happening over at dc studios let's move on to our only other item of the of the week that we got to chat about quickly we just found out that a live action my hero academia movie is currently in development over at netflix it will be produced by Legendary Entertainment, and they also got the writer from Obi-Wan Kenobi and Army of the Dead to pin the screenplay. Now, of course, My Hero Academia is something we've talked about on the show a few times. I'm actually getting into it right now. I just started my watch of it. It's one of the most popular mangas in the world. It's sold like 65 million copies, and of course, the anime has been running for quite a while now. They are currently entering into their sixth season overall, and so the news and announcements of a live-action adaptation of it Aren't that surprising? I mean, anything that's going to be super successful and super popular, they're going to make something out of it and continue to try to spin it off in new ways. Um, but it's interesting that it's going to happen over at Netflix. Netflix has tried to tap into this market before, maybe to mix results, especially, I think, you know, based off of what you said about some previous iterations and adaptations that they've done. How do you feel about this? I know you are currently, you know, sort of watching My Hero Academia, pretty much caught up with it and have been following it for the longest time. How do you feel about Netflix picking this up and the fact that they're going to do a live-action movie and the fact that they also have the writer from Obi-Wan and Army of the Dead sort of pinning the script for the story?
1: Ooh, um, Yeah. Why? I, Netflix, man. They have some balls on them. I say that. <laughs> Netflix got some <laughs> balls, man. Um, What I will say is anime and manga fans... Are a little more forgiving than comic book fans in terms of what happens to their properties, Um, because there has been some live action anime travesties over the past couple years, live action wise, that I just cannot believe we don't talk about it more. Like, (laughs) like uh, there's like a live action Full Metal Alchemist movie that wasn't good. I think there was a live action um, Veroni Kenshin. Live action Death Note definitely got a lot of talk uh, in the town about how not good that movie was, but they they are more forgiving. So, but they have the balls to come up here and make a li- announce a live action movie for one of the biggest anime and mangas out here today. Wow, it's uh, I don't even know what to say. To be honest, it's hard. To think about a little bit because it's 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 such weird territory to because live action anime hasn't been done that well at all. Like there there are mm-hmm. a couple of exceptions. I know there was like a really good live action Attack on Titan movie people talked about. I haven't seen it. It's like hard to get your hands on, I think. But people talked pretty decent about the movie. I was like, OK, that went well. But in terms of everything else, it's been a very hard road for live action anime adaptions. And for Netflix to say, okay, we're going to come along and do one of the most popular, you're not even going to start smaller than that? Like, you can't do, I don't know, I Taxi. <laughs> like, I, I guess that would be weird, but there's just certain things. I don't know. Try something else first. Like, let's start small. And it feels like they're not starting small. They're literally starting at the top of the mountain. It's like, no, we're going to do a My Hero live action. Today. Okay. Wow. That's a lot to process. And that's a lot to do. My Hero was very much... An anime in a lot of ways because it needs to be an anime as well. Just the way it yeah. works, the way quirks work, the way you gotta visual effects the shit out of this. I mean, I need to see the best people <laughs> ever on the visual effects because it's that crazy of a concept of an anime where it just has to look good. Um, and I think that already is a huge hurdle to climb given how the visual effects industry at the moment. Like, that's already hard. F- for them saying that they're going to do that and try to do that successfully is skip the story, skip all that. The way it looks has to be fire. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything else to be honest. Unfortunately, that's the way anime works. That's why these things are anime. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a tough hill to climb. Um, I I have to reiterate the, the Yu Yu Hakusho Netflix adaption is coming out next December. I think that'll be an indication of i think everything that's to follow that's one of the crowd favorites of anime i've ever seen it's one of my favorite anime of all time it's just one of those ones that like if they do that right okay we'll see what happens with my hero but like yeah they just need to they need to figure it out they need to test a little bit smaller i'm afraid that's that's i say all that to say i'm afraid what's to come with this (laughs) adaption we're just gonna have to see
0: yeah, I think what we find with Netflix now is that they are absolutely in the business of trying to tap into certain demographics and certain markets now. You know, mm-hmm. they have their own really popular shows and series and films that they've been able to successfully roll out where we're hearing about Wednesday right now just being one of their most watched shows. Of course, Wednesday is essentially adapting what, what the Addams Family has previously done. But they haven't quite tapped into the anime space successfully. You know, I think that they're trying to do comic book stuff and trying to make that hit. And they've thrown out several things that have just not worked, you know. But the Sandman is a win for them, for sure. But some of these other things that they've done, maybe not so much. They're not necessarily lighting up the world with their comic book adaptations. Anime, again, it's really, really tricky because, as you said, live action from that perspective. I mean, what is really out there that's just been done well that people like it's it's mm. almost non-existent there there's there's quite possibly and it's a it's kind of a shocker to say this there might be a taller mountain to climb in terms of live action films for anime than it would have ever been for video games mm. and we know video game adaptations yeah. have long been trashed they've been so shit for the longest <laughs> but now we're starting to turn a corner it's it feels like we're at a moment where things are changing and getting to to a better a better outlook for the future but anime, I mean, we're kind of starting from ground zero in terms of like, yeah, that movie totally got that manga right, or that movie totally got that anime that I watched when I was younger right. So, like you said, this is one of the biggest ones to go after, so it's definitely a certain level of fearlessness, maybe a little bit of, I don't want to say stupidity, because nothing stupid, it's all very intentional, but it, it, does, it does take balls, it I, does. I totally agree. Like that, mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is, to, to come out and say you, you're, you're wanting to do this one, because Visually I can't see it so I need them to show it to me and and make it real (laughs) and make it make sense for me because right now I'm just like I don't know who in what world could bring this to life but perhaps that's a part of the geniusness of it perhaps they know some things and have a sense about it that we don't necessarily quite know at this point yet but we will certainly have to see And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We only have one episode left for season seven of Two Black Nerds before we take a break into the new year. And that is next week. We will be reviewing the long awaited, highly anticipated sequel to Jane Cameron's 2009 Avatar. That's right, we are going to be talking about Avatar. The Way of Water surely to be one of the biggest movies of the year. We're certainly going to go check it out this weekend and come back and talk about everything around this highly, highly anticipated film. And in addition to that, there's quite a lot of stuff that we just have not had time to cover on the podcast. So we are going to be catching up on everything we missed from the year that is 2022. That shows, that's movies. That might be other things too. Maybe some games or some other things that we tapped into that we just haven't had time and opportunity to talk about on the podcast. So you can look out. For everything, we will come back to talk about discuss next week, including the highly anticipated Avatar, The Way of Water. So until then, we will see y'all next time.
1: Yes, sir. With that being said, we're at of Please check out our Two Black Panthers Forever collection at twoblacknerds.com. This is the year 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always bet on Black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace. Yeah.